Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Greetings and salutations. How are you on a sun-splashed? Good start to the week Monday. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. It is Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And Jimmy, I'm going to tell you something that happened yesterday. Every once in a while this happens where a moment in sports encapsulates or summarizes the totality of the event in which it takes place, right? You were also excited about the last stand in the Pro Bowl yesterday? That is correct. How did you know? I'm a psychic. It was not the flag football of the Pro Bowl, which is scintillating, of course. Watching Purdue yesterday, Purdue goes into Wisconsin. Purdue is the number two ranked team in the country. Wisconsin is number six. A top 10 tilt in Madison, a place that is not an easy place to play. And from the get-go, I'm watching Purdue in that game, and you can just tell. Sometimes you can just tell when somebody is having an off day. And I don't even know if you'd say an off day, but rather maybe somebody is just simply kind of being neutralized. And all of a sudden like the blueprint is being laid out. And it's crazy to say that when a guy goes 7 of 13 from the floor and still has 18 points and 13 boards that he's having an off day. But Zach Eady was never able to necessarily get in flow for Purdue. And all of a sudden, Purdue is in a situation where their offense could not run through him per se. And I remember a year ago saying that if I was Matt Painter, which I'm not, that what I would do if I was coaching Purdue is I would take a game or two, maybe not in the Big Ten, but at some point during the year, I would take a game or two and basically sit Zach Eady to force the rest of the supporting cast to learn how to play without him. And... He is so good and so consistent and so reliable that, of course, you naturally funnel through him. But yesterday, Wisconsin, between doubling him up front and at times making things difficult behind, you know, he just, and he looked a little bit passive defensively, which is odd to say, I realize, but I think he was trying to be conscientious from a foul standpoint, and he just looked a little bit Maybe passive is the wrong word, but not as physically dominant as we are used to seeing. But yet, Purdue is hanging around, and you know they they had a comfortable. I say hanging around. They, they were leading five to seven points the vast majority of the game. Then something happened in the final minute of that game that I think encapsulated what is happening in West Lafayette. And that is, Purdue's up six. It's the final minute of the game. And Wisconsin's got a chance 
to cut the lead in half if they hit a three or get it down to two possessions if they score inside. And suddenly the ball gets loose and you're looking at the clock and you're now inside of a minute and Lance Jones is streaking down the floor. And you're saying to yourself, okay, just back it out and salt clock, back it out and salt clock. But Lance Jones sees an opening, hits an extra layer of the Jets and goes the distance and lays it into score and Purdue goes up eight and you know Wisconsin still had some left in them but at that point it was kind of the breaking point for Purdue and that encapsulated what's happening in West Lafayette because that flat out yesterday against Wisconsin in Madison on the road top 10 team when that came down to scratch and claw moments and Zach Eady, while he still was effective, never got into the we're going inside to him on every possession and he took 13 shots and hit seven of them. A relative, and I'm using the term relative, off day for Zach Eady, and Purdue is still able to win that game primarily because of Lance Jones saying, I'm going to go for this. I'm not going to be passive. I'm going for it. And he scores that basket. And he has 20 points in the game. And that flat out for Purdue fans is the moment that you look at and say, this team is different. It's built different. It is different. And that is a game that Purdue does not win a year ago. And it's a game that Purdue controlled the vast majority of it against a top 10 team on the road, and you say, this is what Purdue, you now are expecting them and accustomed to them doing when they go up against top competition. And they went up against top competition and did so without their main piston firing at 100% the, the regular acumen that it does, and yet they still win that game. And that's why Purdue is the number two ranked team in the country, and that's why Purdue, it would seem, is destined to erase and exercise the demons of shortcomings in March of the last few years. There's still basketball to be played. There's still health to maintain, but you have to be optimistic if you're Purdue. Then you have, Jimmy, Indiana State. Now, tell me what Indiana State did over the course of the weekend. Indiana State now 20 and 3 on the year, Jake. And most notably, when you look around and win against Belmont earlier in the week, when you look around the valley and you ponder, hey, is this a two tournament league? Is this a two bid league? Or is this just going to go straight outright to the champion? You want to see how they do against teams that are closer to the top of the conference. They remain perfect at home. They're right atop the Missouri Valley in the driver's seat. Dismantled Drake by 8, 75 to 67 to improve their record of 20 and 3 on the season and remain in terms of the ranking that really matters, which is net a top 25 team in that specific metric that the tournament committee values so much. So they've beaten everybody on their roster but two, right? Mm -hmm. They're in really good contention in the MoVal. I don't know if it's a two-bid league. I, I personally think it probably is. But Indiana State, what is brewing in Terre Haute is special and it's fun. And they play so well as a group and they space the floor, and they find their shooters, and they, they run through their big man, but it's not they don't necessarily 100% rely on that. And they, Indiana State, went out 
and got a coach that was an unconventional hire who had a track record of being fabulous elsewhere at a lower level. But basketball is basketball, and it is working for Indiana State. And then that takes us to the third team in the state, and Butler as well. Kudos to Butler. Massive win against Creighton, and they're now in the driver's seat for their destiny to get in the tournament. Correct. I mean, it looks like a at minimum three from the state dance card, right? Mm-hmm. Butler's not as far along as the others, but they're, they're in control of their destiny now after adding another signature win. Butler gives you optimism, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go to Bloomington. And yes, we're going to talk about Bloomington. It's over. I got sad news for you Indiana fans. One of, and I grew up one of them. I grew up, as I've mentioned before, and I don't think it's necessary for me to preface every IU rant with it, but I'm going to say it again. I say this because I grew up with a passion for Indiana basketball. So I'm not a hater. I don't want them to fail. I want to see Indiana do well. Now, I have matured to the point where I can be a fan of Indiana and have a great appreciation and be a fan of or a supporter of or you know, an objective observer of Purdue, Indiana State, Ball State, whatever it might be. But it's over for Indiana. It's over this year. And and I don't see where the light is at the end of the tunnel. And let me explain. Indiana has gone through a cycle now, and I get it. And we're going to go back to, again, precedent. We're going to kind of go through what has led to the point now where Indiana, again, you're closing in in the early part of February, and you already, as an Indiana fan, know their chances for the NCAA tournament are essentially over. They're 13-9. and nine. They've beaten nobody that's overly impressive. They've gotten beaten handily by Kansas they hung with. Okay, fine. That was all the way back before Christmas. But you've got a team coming in in Penn State with a new coach whose leading score is out, a team that was basically wearing name tags in October so they got to know each other, And they come into Assembly Hall where Indiana, at home, gets beat. How bad is this? When you get beat by 14 to a team that coming in has fewer than 14 wins in your midway through, three-quarters way through the year, Indiana had no life about them, no urgency about them, And the problem for Indiana is not just that you lose that game and you lose it to a team so that they now can pull to 500 on the year at 11 and 11, the fighting Nittany Lions. And you now are tied with one another at five and six in the Big Ten. But the the real discouraging thing for Indiana is in the game itself where you get beat by 14 at home to a team that doesn't even have its leading score, you do so led in scoring by the three guys that are supposed to lead you in scoring. You got nothing else out of anybody else on the floor that we've been told were going to be answers for you. But here's the thing about Indiana. 
and I'm talking about just the program in general and the state of where it is right now for Indiana basketball and the realities of Indiana basketball and the issue that Indiana has. Indiana basketball was a product and a brand that was not built by Bob Knight. People forget they had two national titles in Branch McCracken before Bob Knight ever had heard of Bloomington, Indiana. But it was obviously cemented and for the most part accentuate, you know, defined by Knight for the better part of a quarter century. And they've been chasing that high ever since. And Indiana fans, I've been telling you forever, you're Nebraska football. You think Indiana is an elite program. You think Indiana is in the top level of college basketball. You think Indiana gets recruits excited. You think Indiana has banners that cast a shadow over college basketball. And guess what? You're wrong. Nobody under 30 knows or cares. They don't. A 16-year-old kid right now, and would you agree, Jimmy, that 16 is probably the target age right now of like recruiting base, right? Yeah. It used to be that like your senior year, I mean, now you, you pretty much know by sophomore year where you're going to go, a- right? AAU has changed that, yeah. Totally. Okay? If you're my age, which means if you're the age of Calvert Chaney, okay? If you're the era of Calvert Chaney, if you're listening to my voice right now and you're in your late 40s, early 50s, and you grew up on Bob Knight's Indiana basketball, and you're like, but Indiana... I mean, they're going to be fine because Calvert Chaney's down there again and Mike Woodson's on staff. I got news for you. Mike Woodson is to today's 16-year-old what Don Schlunt and B.H. Bourne were for the 1953 National Championship game between Indiana and Kansas to us. How excited would you have been if you're listening to my voice and you're in your late 40s, early 50s, and you grew up in the Bob Knight, Indiana era? How excited would you have been your sophomore year in high school to have Marv Huffman come in and talk to you? That's Mike Woodson to a kid today. Now, I know that he has NBA connections, and therefore kids know about him because he coached Carmelo Anthony. I get it. But Indiana, since the Bob Knight departure and since the zenith of Indiana basketball, has been searching for the long-term coach for a while. And they've tried different avenues. They went with Tom Crean, a guy that had the energy. Well, obviously the Mike Davis scenario, right? And I think everybody knew that Mike Davis was probably temporary. And kudos to Mike Davis. He did a heck of a job in representing that program and and having a lot of dignity and a very difficult situation. But then you go out and you get, first off, Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin Sampson, if he's still there, Indiana probably has another banner, truth be told. But he was an ass and he was a scum and he broke rules that Indiana couldn't live with. And I'm I totally understand and appreciate why they jettisoned him. Indiana was a disaster when Kelvin Sampson was there. They were good on the court, but away from the court, they were a disaster. I think we all know that. Then they go with Tom Crean, who is the young, energetic coach that comes from another historic program that is thought to be like just one rung below the Big Ten. And Crean did a really good job, and he turned him around and he got him relevant, but he was just exhausting, quite frankly. He was exhausting in terms of there just seemed to be constant chaos. And like the way that he moved up and down the sidelines seemingly was like what life was like for him all throughout the basketball office. And it just got to the point where everybody needed a change. And they went out and they got Archie Miller, who was the young coach 
that was probably one rung below where Crean was. But Crean and Archie Miller both, Jimmy, were coaches that it felt like this was the landing spot for them and this was the place where Indiana was the final cement. Like, that was the stepping stone. They they got to Indiana and that was the final step and they had arrived. It felt and they like, were thrilled to be there. It felt like they properly had climbed the ladder of college basketball, Correct. having success at smaller schools, and then they get the big opportunity, and now it's time to go racing, and let's let's get rolling. Correct. And that didn't work out. And so then, of course, you go back to, and there's a point that I'm getting at here, you go back to, we've got to get an Indiana guy. Everybody and their brother, they got, they just got to get an Indiana guy. They got to get a guy that understands Indiana. They have to get a guy, they got to get an IU guy. They got to get a Bob Knight guy. They got to get a guy that understands what Indiana basketball is. So they go out and they get Mike Woodson. Fine. He checks the box if he's an Indiana guy and he's got NBA ties. Here's the problem. Mike Woodson is 66 years old. Mike Woodson is coaching an NBA style, in my opinion, of basketball. His substitution patterns, the way that he's built the roster. In the NBA, the way you build a roster is you put five wings out there that are the five, like the most talented, non-position set guys, and you let them run. College basketball is different. They have talent in Indiana, but literally, it's like Mike Woodson goes into the grocery store, and he comes out, and he's got a really good piece of steak. He's got a really fresh pineapple. He's got the best bag of snack chips that you could ask for, and he's got a designer bar of chocolate that is super expensive and just was flown in from Belgium. But you're like, Mike, the only problem is we told you that you've got to put everything that you bought into one meal. None of that goes with each other. And that's kind of what Indiana is right now in terms of their roster build. That roster is constructed terribly. They have no chemistry. They have no cohesion. They got nobody that can shoot. But they have five-star talent that that is bound for the NBA. Great. But where are the actual basketball players? I don't think Mike Woodson has the energy to go out and recruit. I think other coaches would tell you that Mike Woodson doesn't have the energy to go out and recruit. I think other coaches that are going into the elite level players' homes to recruit them are telling those players that Mike Woodson doesn't have the energy. Yes, I do believe that is taking place. And I think Indiana, the time has come now. And I know it's not going to happen. Mike Woodson's tight with Quinn Buckner. Quinn Buckner is the president of or, or the head of the, obviously, the Indiana University board. I, I just completely escaped the, the actual title. Um, but Mike Woodson's probably not going anywhere unless Mike Woodson wants to go anywhere. But it's over. Khalil Ware ain't going to be here next year. Mackenzie Ambaco may not be here next year. They got one really good player coming in, don't get me wrong, but they don't have any supporting cast. CJ Gunn can't play. Wouldn't we know it by now? Gabe Cups? People at Indiana thought Gabe Cups is going to be Brendan Braden Smith. Are you kidding me? He's going to be a good player in time, but we're past the era of good players in time. You need players right now. Indiana has been pushing its chest out for far too long about being Indiana. They've been living off banners. They've been living off tradition. They've been living off the Bob Knight show. They've been living off Adidas sweaters. They've been living off all that. It's over. Here's what Indiana needs to do. And it's not going to happen right now. 
But what Indiana needs to do, and it's a sobering reality for the fans, it's a sobering reality for the alumni, it's a sobering reality for the people that went to Walmart and bought an Indiana shirt and therefore they're an Indiana fan. That's what I was for years, right? It's a sobering reality for all of them. Indiana needs to take the etch sketch wipe it clean, and go out and get somebody that has no affiliation to Indiana. But instead of getting a coach where Indiana is doing them a favor by giving them their destination job, Indiana needs to go out and get a coach that is big enough in brand, big enough in name, and big enough in ego that they see it as they're doing Indiana the favor by taking that job. And you got to open up your pocketbook to do it. Indiana's got a lot of NIL money, right? Khalil Ware got NIL money just to make an official visit. So the money is there, and I'm telling you, with the alumni base right now, Indiana's got to quit acting like it's better than the coaches that are possible. If I'm Indiana now, enough is enough. You went through the stepping stone, coach. You went through the young coach who had been to a Final Four in Marquette and just needed that last destination in Tom Crean. You went through the coach that knew how to, to defend but broke all of the rules and just kind of acted, that's probably the closest to what I'm talking about, what they want right now. If I'm Indiana right now, and I'm talking about, I know that Chris Beard had his 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 issues. Bruce Pearl. Rick Pitino. Hell, John Calipari wanted the Indiana job, and Indiana was better than that. Indiana needs to now realize two things, Jimmy. Indiana basketball needs to realize that to get back to the point, and they are getting absolutely overshadowed, even though I've spent the majority of time talking about them today because of the brand of Indiana, then Purdue. Indiana is getting its rear end kicked in in every way, shape, or form by what's happening in West Lafayette. Yeah, but Jake, Indiana beat them like twice last year. I get it. They've beaten them three times in like eight years. Great. Congratulations. Purdue's the best team in college basketball, Purdue's the best program in the state of Indiana right now, and Purdue's doing it with a blueprint that Indiana fans fell in love with. Indiana right now needs to wipe everything clean and start from scratch because they've got to start from scratch by having the program finally get away from chasing something that's never happening again. Sure, Indiana can get to the point where it is an elite program again, but the mold and the the aspect of doing it by hanging on banners and talking about bringing donkeys on the Bob Knight show 40 years ago are over. You got to go out and get a guy that's like, look, I'm in charge now. You ever seen that movie, Jimmy, with Tom Hanks, the one about the, the pirates? I forget what it's called. Yes. Look at me. I'm the captain now. That's what they need. They need a guy that comes in and says to the Indiana Athletic Administration, like, look, I'm the captain now. We're, we're, we're doing this totally. We're starting from scratch. And I'm the guy that I'm bringing my brand to you. I'm not excited to become a part of your brand because your brand sucks. And it sucked for 10 years now. And you're 13 and 9. You're 5 and 6 in the Big Ten. You're, you're, your recruiting is lazy because you're just going out and you're signing – five-star cast-offs from other places. McKenzie and Baco, supposed to be at Duke. Kahlo, we're supposed to be at Oregon. Why did Oregon and Duke say no go? Because Indiana thought that they could just roll out of bed and say, we're Indiana. It doesn't matter anymore. You need a guy that comes in and says, I know you're Indiana, but I'm Bruce Pearl. I'm Rick Pitino, you know, whatever it might be. And you want to tell me that scruples are a factor 
They were when Kelvin Sampson was there. Not anymore. College basketball is the wild, wild west, baby. Grab your horse and your rifle. Let's go, right? It's over. It's over for this season. I'm frustrated by it, admittedly. I'm frustrated by it because I love not just Indiana. I just love college basketball relevance in general. And, Jimmy, it's frustrating to sit there and watch a team that – I want so badly to see play well, and they got guys on the floor that look like they don't care at all. And then they got a coach that comes out and goes, well, I just got to coach them harder. I just got to do better. And then Mike Woodson wants to come after the media? Really? The media doesn't like him? media doesn't dislike him. You know why? We don't even know him. He doesn't talk to any of them. Energy, right? Fabulous player. Great story. Lot to love and respect about Mike Woodson. But for right now, when you're 13 and 9 and you're 5 and 6, there is only one place to look and to blame, and that is right in the mirror. And quit blaming everybody else. Don't throw players under the bus. Don't throw the media under the bus. Don't th- none of it, right? They are not well coached. They're not well constructed, and they look lifeless. And it's embarrassing. Period, right? And it ain't going to change. I'll bet you next year, I would bet you the house right now, next year, we're having this exact same conversation. Next year, Indiana's going to be like, well, you know, if Khalil Ware would have stayed or Mbaka would have stayed, you know, then then maybe they'd be really good this year because they got, you know, they got some good young players that can't shoot the ball and they're like 13 and 8. Okay. For me to push for a full move on Mike Woodson, and I am trending there. I have a three, led, a three red flag territory. And we've already had red flag number one, which is effort level on the floor reminds me of the Archie Miller days, which aren't that far removed, right? Just a couple years ago. But it and felt I like thought he was a good hire, right? A lot of people did. I, I, I bought into it initially, too, because it felt like the story of, like you see all the time in college basketball, a coach that kind of bites his teeth and works up through the ranks and gets the big opportunity, and then he's going to rise to the occasion. That didn't happen. Then you bring in Mike Woodson, like you mentioned, Indiana guy, understands the Bob Knight legacy, understands what Indiana's about, and they're going to turn things around. And you see two years of making the NCAA tournament, which in Indiana should be a prerequisite. That shouldn't be a big ask. You should be able to, with the resources, with the still brand of the program, regardless of where you think it is, be able to make the tournament on a year-in, year-out basis. They're not doing that this year. I told you it wasn't going to happen two weeks ago. Didn't think it would happen in this fashion, where I'm getting PTSD from a long walk back from Assembly Hall a decade ago in Tom Crean's era, where how do you lose to Penn State at home? And 10 years later, it's the same damn thing. Jimmy, you ever seen Wedding Crashers? Or not Wedding Crashers, excuse me. Um, Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ben Stiller in that movie the entire time is walking on eggshells. He's he's blowing up, you know, woodcrafts in the backyard and getting like manure sprayed everywhere and raw sewage everywhere. You know why? Because he's walking on eggshells the entire time because he knows he can't be the last boyfriend. He's overshadowed. Everywhere he turns around, he's being compared to the last boyfriend. Archie Miller might have been a good coach. I don't think he's necessarily elite, but Rhode Island is, yeah, Tom Crean. <laughs> but the whole time yeah. they're being compared to and overshadowed by the lat by, by the 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 three boyfriend to go guy. It's over, Indiana. Get over it. Move forward and go out. Scott Drew at Baylor. Well, you know, I mean, they're they're crooked. Okay, they won a national title. They got NBA players all over the place, and he's from Indiana. He's energetic. He's a young guy. Relatively, he's getting older. I realize. But Indiana was better than that. No, you're not. You're 13 and 9. You're a dumpster fire. And the sooner that you admit you have a problem is the first step in getting a solution towards it.
I mentioned three red flags. The first one is where they're at now. The second one for me would be if you see a mass exodus, a mass exodus at the portal, which means of if course Renew it's going to happen, right? But of course, if it does happen, then you're a, you might as well just clean slate. You want it to happen with from, these guys, right? The only two I care about. The only two I care about, other than Gabe Cups, who we mentioned might be a fine player, or whatever. He's not the concern today. The only two I care about in terms of if they transfer, what are we doing here? This is my response. If Mackenzie Mbako doesn't go to the draft and he transfers and Malik Renew transfers, you're, what's your roster next year? Liam totally McNeely's agree. coming in. That's it? Totally agree. If that happens, totally that, agree. that's red flag number Listen, two. Most of these guys transfer. Right. Who cares? Who cares? They, right? they are lacking. Maybe they'll in- go and find a jump shot somewhere else like other guys that have left, <laughs> and right? That, and that's the other key thing, right? Because three-point shooting has been the line of criticism for this team all year. And you look at every game that they've lost – why are they not able to make up for their deficiencies when they're not playing perfect on defense? Because they don't have everybody that can shoot. Penn State, who had been struggling all year, shoots 54% from beyond the arc when you're supposed to be hey. a defensive team and you can't back it up with your own three-point shooting because no one can hit a bucket. Listen, if you're going down to Bloomington to watch a game, put in NXS kick on your way down. And then like on your way down there, stop at Waverly in the place for catfish and be sure to peg your jeans because party like it's 1988, baby. Come on, man. It's over. One guy who has seen a lot of it, and we'll talk about what happened against Penn State. We won't go that far, but we'll get more nuanced into what took place with it. Don Fisher going to join us on the other side. Mike Chappell, 1 o'clock today. Alan Karpik to talk about the number two boilers who have figured it out. Coming up at 2 o'clock, you're listening to Query Company on a Monday on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Okay, I've I've taken a deep breath. Serenity now. Serenity now. Oh, you were meditating over there during the break. I couldn't figure it out. You just was, were silent. I was pacing. A near comatose state. I wanna I wanna objectively break down what happened with Indiana and Penn State, and no one better to do that than of course the longtime radio voice of the Hoosiers who joins us on the program, Don Fisher, who seemingly needs no introduction in the state of Indiana, but I did one for him anyway. Um <laughs> Don, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I try to, to be like, an, you know, the sun's out. You know, we feel like we've broken through a little bit on the weather. Uh, but that was just a huge letdown against Penn State. And I think to me the thing that, that is troublesome is that you got good scoring and good play out of the three guys that you should be getting it out of. It just kind of was the rest of the cast. I, to put it simply, Don, what happened? Well, I wish I knew. Obviously, uh, nobody seems to be able to figure it out other than the, the Mike Woodson said it was a, you know, we came out flat in the second half. But honestly, uh, this is an ongoing issue. It's been ongoing throughout the season at times. Uh, a team that 
hasn't really been able to beat anybody by a significant margin in the entire season. Uh, I think maybe their biggest win was a 17 or an 18 point victory over a, a ball club, a mid major back uh, in December. So it's a team right now that is just, it's, it's hard to identify what their personality is, uh, what their strength is at this point. Uh, the fact that defensively uh, in this ball game they gave up 12 three-point field goals to a team that is not a great three-point shooting ball club, or at least they haven't shown that up to this point, and they shoot 54% of the game from the three-point line with 12 threes, uh, and that to me is it's a defensive issue more than anything else. Uh, you've got to be able to get up on people. And Indiana showed that they can do that at times this year, but there's no consistency to it. And that's the biggest issue I see where Indiana, uh, you know, the last couple of years you could count on the defense to play well, even when the offense didn't. This year, that is not the case. And I can't answer the question as to why. Obviously, these players aren't getting the job done. Um, obviously the coaching staff is trying to get these guys to understand what they're, what they've got to do and how much effort they've got to put into it. But it's just, it's not, they're not getting through to them or uh, I, I, well, I can't even say, or, cause I don't know what the, or would be at this point. It's just, it's a ball club right now that is just not playing well. And when you have a ball game, like you had against Illinois, that gives you some hope, even though they lost that contest, then you beat Iowa and it wasn't a. It was a good performance in the first half until the last five minutes, and then they turned the ball over a couple of times and let an eleven point lead slip to four at halftime. And yet they get, then they trail in the second half and still come back and win the ball game. So you see some things that are bright spots, but the negatives by far outweighed the, the positives in this game against Penn State because it's a ball club that Penn State. They're not a great team. They played differently than anybody else in the league. And obviously, they're a ball club that can beat you if you don't put your best effort. And without question, Indiana didn't even come close to that on Saturday. Don, are we and, – and gosh darn it, I, I don't want to sound like one of the two old guys at the end of the Muppet show here, right? But I'm about to, I guess. I, is there a challenge, Don, in the NIL era? And I mean this is no knock or attack on anybody's personality or scruples – but is there a challenge if you're using NIL enticement to get a player to come to your program to then get that player in the same capacity to understand the commitments and at times the sacrifices that need to be made for the best of a team effort as opposed to individual effort? Well, that's a question for somebody with a much higher grade level than I have because uh, I, I have not liked NIL since it came into play because I just thought it would taint college basketball in so many different ways. And I'm certainly seeing that with this Indiana basketball team. And I, 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 I don't want to just place it on Indiana because look at what's happened at Ohio State this year. They're playing poorly. Uh, you've got a bunch of other teams that have gotten better because of the uh, the transfer portal and the NIL money, I assume. Um, I just think it has tainted everything in college basketball. Uh, we had people screaming for 10 or 15 years, uh, you know, media types and talking heads talking about the fact these players ought to be paid and all these kinds of things. I've never agreed with that because they are getting paid. They're getting full totally agree. I, I totally you agree. Know? Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. And I mean, Don, it, here's the it, thing. And I don't know that people understand this. I know you do. But for those that are listening, 
a, a player that is on scholarship gets a, a check each month for the equivalency of living in the dormitory, like the room and board of the, of the said university. So if they're living in an apartment with a couple of buddies, they're getting more than just the, you know what I mean? There is plenty of pocket money there to go around, right? Oh, no question. And and here's the other thing. The stipends today are much different than they were, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, the stipends today are somewhere around five to $9,000 a year as a stipend these kids get on top of the scholarship money and all the other perks that comes with being a college athlete. And again, I'm not taking anything away from the fact, look, I understand that if somebody is a great player out there and they're using his likeness or his image and all those kinds of things in some capacity to sell jerseys or whatever the case, maybe he should get some of that. But this, this has gone beyond that. NIL has changed everything in that context. And if a team is playing poorly at some point now, as Indiana is right at this point, what, there's no motivation to play better. They're still getting paid. They're still getting this money. It's guaranteed money. So you can't take it away from them. So what's what's the motivation to be a really good basketball player at the college level if you're getting four hundred thousand dollars a year? <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's the motivation? Well, well, I want to go to the NBA. See, that's, well, that would be the motivation, but that's that's the wrong motivation. And Don, in addition to that, and I want to make sure that that people understand, I'm not, and I know you're not either. We're not talking about like a specific case here at Indiana, right? But just in general, the, the, right. the challenge that I have, Don, is that if you're going out and getting a kid. That, that is going to get $400,000 to play for you and he has sights on the NBA, then I think you run into the crux of he's going out on the floor wanting to develop his NBA game, and that may not be the best game for what state you needs in that particular game. And, and, and to me, it's visible, and you can see it at times. Is that fair? No, it's, it's totally fair. I mean, we've seen guys before NIL and the transfer portal came into play that were playing for their NBA career. I mean, uh, and one of my great examples of that is Thomas Bryant. I mean, he was a guy that wanted to show, shoot three-pointers all the time when it wasn't in the best interest of the people. Not in the sense that he was a bad player. He wasn't. He was a very good player for Indiana. But the guy had NBA potential. He knew it. And I guarantee he was playing for that NBA potential rather than playing for the Indiana basketball team. That's just my feeling. Totally agree. Totally agree. Voice the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, I'm not speaking for you here. I'm speaking for myself and as an IU alum and an IU fan. I felt like the tournament hopes died two weeks ago. They most certainly died against Penn State in terms of this season, unless they are totally redefining their identity and showing something they have not shown this entire season. That said, and I don't want to cross NIL with this, even though it might impact it to some degree, they're 13-9 and on the year. The season itself, in terms of just the morale from afar, reminds me of the Archie Miller years, which is not what I thought possible underneath Mike Woodson. When you look at the upcoming games, the rest of the season, Ohio State, Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska, two on the road, two at home, is there a real danger of the bottom falling out on this thing? Well, there's no question about that. I don't know who it's Ken Palmer. These guys that do analytics, all these kinds of things have indicated that Indiana will not be a favored team in any game they play the rest of the year. So uh, all I can tell you at this point is this team has got to come together. They have got to start playing much better at the defensive end of the floor. Um, you, you've got guys like Khalil Ware and Malik Renew who are giving you 
pretty much everything that they've got. I, I give Khalil Ware a lot of credit for how hard he's playing at this point. Uh, how do you score 17 points in the first half, though, and only come up with eight in the second half? Well, you're not getting the basketball. And I don't see – that's that's not a player issue. That's that's where the – it is a player issue in the sense that they didn't get the ball, but why isn't he getting the ball? And I got timeouts that will tell you, you better get him the ball, you know? I, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm at my wit's end in the sense of, of what this team has been able to show at times and what they're not showing most of the time. That's the biggest issue with this basketball team right now. Don, is it too harsh for me to say – and maybe sometimes you don't know this until you can actually go out and see how groups work together. But is it too harsh for me to say, and, and feel free to tell me that this is way off base, that this team has talent but is just not properly constructed? Again, Jake, I don't, I'm not a coach, and I, I, I'm not qualified to make that, that kind of an observation, to be honest with you. I, I know what I see. I just don't see the effort uh, on a consistent basis, and I don't see the defensive play that we've gotten used to over the last couple of years under Woodson. Uh, it's just not happening for this basketball team, and and we're not getting much out of the bench at this point. Uh, Walker, who's been probably our most consistent bench player, plays no minutes in the second half, none. And, well, decision. He obviously saw something he didn't like because there's nothing wrong with Anthony Walker from a physical standpoint. Um, it, it's just not happening in this ball club right now. And how do you get that turned around? I can't answer that question because that's a question for the players themselves. They're the only ones that get this thing turned along with executing what the coaches ask them to do. Lastly, Don, in terms of this season, and I know it's one game, right? I, you know, listen, although the, the it, trending certainly in a bad direction, but Indiana, to me, my concern is there really aren't many opportunities to get quality wins now on your resume for Selection Sunday. And maybe that's so far gone, I'm being overly optimistic. But did that loss on Saturday run the risk now of just kind of breaking Indiana's season and having the towel thrown in? Well, we'll find out because we've got a week week upcoming that's going to be very treacherous, to say the least. You've got Ohio State coming your way tomorrow night, a ball club that Indiana beat – and, and played really well against uh, when they were playing their best basketball. Ohio State was 12-2 and two when Indiana played them the first time back, I think, on January the 6th. And since then, Ohio State's gone in the tank. They were 1-7 and seven in their last eight ball games. Uh, and Indiana at this juncture obviously is a little better than that, but it could get a lot worse if they don't win that ball game in Columbus tomorrow night. And let's face facts here, Indiana has won one road game this year that was against Wisconsin or against uh, uh, Michigan back in December. So winning on the road of the Big Ten we know is very difficult if you're playing some of your best basketball. Ask Northwestern and Purdue. <laughs> so all I can tell you at this juncture uh, is this basketball team has got to find a way to turn it around or it could turn into a real disaster here at the end. Don, I forget the total name of it. I think it's like Hudson Institute or something, but up by Cathedral High School. If you were a Northsider, then you and I could just start meeting there and tackle the rest of the world's problems in our think tank together, right? Because <laughs> I'll be damned we got it all figured out, don't we? I, I don't really have anything figured out. All I know is I can just tell you what I see. I've never been an X and O guy. I think I've told you guys this before. Uh, all I know is what I see, and what I see right now is not promising.
Well, Don, we appreciate the time as always and totally and, and I really appreciate the perspectives on on NIL because you got a front row seat to it. I totally agree with you um, and in, in, enjoy and appreciate the conversation today. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. We come back. Uh, something actually yesterday that I witnessed that I think is something we all can learn from. It's next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So I think most people saw this last night. And the highlight of it, which you hear Luke Combs there, the highlight was Tracy Chapman, um, who was, you know, has not been in the public limelight for quite some time. Um, Do we still have, is she about to go here? Because she sounded fabulous, I thought. I mean, she sounds... Fantastic, And I looked it up, and I don't think she's toured in some, like, 15 years. But I did not get to see that live last night because I was at an event. And it was really interesting. When you – something about watching Tracy Chapman, and that song, Fast Car, is not one that I think for most people – I mean, we all – and everyone knows that song, and it's a fabulous song. And she's not by – any stretch a one-hit wonder because she also had you know give me one reason to stay here and and whatever else but I don't know anybody that's a diehard fan of Tracy Chapman but I think everybody respects and likes Tracy Chapman and last night watching that moment and I didn't see it live and I'll get to that I said this last night I truly mean it and I'm not trying to over romanticize it there are certain times where you see a performance or you see something from someone where you realize that it's a blessing to have your life running concurrently with their moments of greatness. And I thought you saw that last night in Tracy Chapman because Tracy Chapman came out on that stage and in her reintroduction to public life, so to speak, she absolutely nailed it and she looked overjoyed to be doing so. And it was fitting that I missed it live because I was at an event last night that I am very, very grateful to have been able to attend that my friend Emily Longnecker at Channel 13 and Rafael Sanchez from WRTV kind of helped put together along with an organization called Quality Life Indy, which is on the east side, which I have mentioned before. Quality Life Indy is a basically a day center for adults that have, whether it be physical challenges, intellectual challenges, you know, disabilities, but uh, a center for them to go and enjoy a quality of life. And our colleague, Jerry Wade, 
was the director of that facility before he would come in here to do his primary job, which was at WTLC as the lover man, the DJ at WTLC. But Jerry made such an impact on the people at Quality Life and and bringing out a life and a joy out of them that he would do a dance party and some of us in the media would go on Fridays and do a dance with the folks from Quality Life. And after Jerry Wade, who passed away a few weeks ago, um, passed away, the directors of Quality Life, which is based out of Boston, flew into Indianapolis to take to dinner uh, all of us that had helped him in that dance capacity. My my role in that, as minimal as minimal can be, but I was invited nonetheless. And in it, they played videos from Jerry where he was encouraging people to be their best, to be the best them, and that that would impact the best in bringing it out in others. And the videos that they were showing of Jerry that happened just before his untimely passing, you were watching it thinking, that's a guy that his life is about making people believe in themselves. And I sat there and watched those videos and saw the impact that Jerry had on the quality life and the facility itself, then got home and immediately saw the Tracy Chapman video and watched it and thought, how unbelievably coincidental that I was unable to see someone at their best performing their best and bringing the best for everyone in that room because I was at a dinner that was paying tribute to somebody that did exactly that so all I would simply ask long-winded and circuitously is that at some point whether it be for Jerry Wade Tracy Chapman whatever it might be that at some point you do what you can to be the best you and bring it out in other people because all people certainly have it within them uh, we'll talk a little bit of Pacers, but the Pro Bowl was over the weekend as well. And Mike Chappell will talk about that with us on the other side. That Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Music means one thing. It means, well, a couple things. Number one, it means it's a perfect time to roll the windows down in the car and hit the accelerator a little bit. But it also means that Mike Chappell joins us on the program here, of course, from WXIN 59 and CBS 4. Mike Chappell is the dean of writers and media members when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts. He was basically covering them the second they got off the Mayflower, if you will joins us on the program. Mike, I'm going to begin with this away from Colts news, I guess. And that is a topic that was probably more so towards the end of last week. We now, you know, we knew it was going to be a certainty, but were you surprised that the coaching cycle went its way through without Bill Belichick landing somewhere else? Only, I mean, the resume, I was surprised like he had two interviews with Atlanta. I mean, what would the first one have been? I mean, you know, I, I beat you guys when you had me twenty-eight to three. I don't know. 
I, I have to believe that at some level, the the Falcons. I think he's the only team that they interviewed. He interviewed with. He wanted he wanted more control than they were willing to give him. I, I, what the hell's do you see it? I, I he's got the resume now. It, it, it's hard to reset long term with Bill Belichick because of his age. Short term, yes. I just have to believe it. You know, when, when it came to nut cutting time, it was he wanted more control of the franchise than Arthur Blank was willing to give him. I also wondered if. This is really speculative, Mike, and I guess we wouldn't know this, but you know, is it possible that Belichick basically said, "Look, uh, you know, I've got to have a quarterback, and I don't believe the guys you have on the roster are the quarterback." And they said, "Well, that's that's the guys we want to go with." And because to me, at his age, and I don't mean to be an ageist, but at his age, he's probably not going to want to start over with a quarterback where he's building from scratch. I would assume that he wants one that is kind of turnkey and go, right? Well, and, and but but he's talking to him. I would hope they had a discussion that that the Falcons also believe they need a quarterback, and they can't they can't believe they've got their guy of the future at all. So I mean, they had to be in agreement. Now, understanding you need a quarterback is one thing, and getting that guy is something else. Whether you're going to start doing what the Colts did, and that's you know recycling every year with whatever veteran you could bring in, which is not the way Belichick would want to do it. Uh, I, I saw one mock draft that had five quarterbacks taken in the top, gosh, 20. Uh, I, I realize these, these will change between now and late April, but they, there would be there would be possibilities to reload. I mean, Michael Penix went in like the second round of this mock draft, primarily because of the injury issue. But I, I always thought that he would go somewhere where he had a quarterback. Same with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the, the, the Chargers made such such perfect sense from the start because of Justin Herbert. So I, all of that probably, but I would certainly hope that the Falcons said, yeah, we need to fix this quarterback thing, and, and we're going to do that. I, I It's hard for me to believe that Belichick said, you need to fix your quarterback, and Atlanta said, no, we got our guy because they don't have their guy by all appearances. So it's one of those I don't know that we're ever going to, know what happened Belichick's not even you know not one of those warm and fuzzy guys that'll go to Peter King and say this is why it didn't work uh but it's really interesting that you know he and Mike Vrabel you know Mike Vrabel's now got the year off apparently which I thought he might go somewhere but uh it's 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 teams are looking for certain things and I just think that Belichick, while the resume is, is undeniable, undeniable, although he's not, he's, it's not as great without Tom Brady. I mean, let's be honest you're right. about no, that. No, you're right. So, so there had to be questions. I, I just didn't understand one interview, yes. Two interviews, and you still haven't got a deal. That There had to be something there that, you know, the old, it wasn't the right fit. Whatever fit means, it it wasn't there in Atlanta for Belichick, both ways. Chap, I realize that D-line isn't always the sexiest aspect of football, especially for the casual fan, but I know you, among others, reporting today that the Colts add Pitts, Charlie Partridge, longtime successful college D-line coach, to their ranks in that same position. It's a great piece up on Fox9.com from the very own Mike Chappell himself recapping this hire. What do you make of it? What's your initial reaction to it? How does it help the Colts in 2024? 
Well, we'll see. He's got he's got the, the resume again. I, I was surprised they made the change. Uh, I thought Ali did a pretty good job. I mean, I thought everybody on the defensive line, everybody had their best season of their career, you know, including uh, Ekubon, who they brought in as a free agent. So whether it was a personality thing, whether Gus and Steichen just wanted their own guy, uh, however, but they're bringing in a guy that whatever you put into it, he's a two-time defensive line coach of the year by was it football scoop. And there's so many of those things out there. I, I assume that's a pretty big deal and they've had some good success. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, what's really crazy. And this is, this is no reflection on the Colts hires. They've had, you know, they'll out a couple other guys before long, but if you, if you look at social media, all of these coaching hires, colleges, and the NFL, these are all great hires. This is a perfect fit for this guy, and this is, hey, this is going to be this. And then two years later, you know, they, they make changes, whether it's assistants or head coaches. I mean, the head coaching hires are unbelievable, the turnover. It's like every three years, you know, two-thirds of the league have new coaches. So optimism is always high. I, I remember there's been times that Colts have hired this wide receiver coach, that wide receiver coach, not Reggie Wayne, but prior. And, well, this guy's really big on, you know, running routes with the way they're supposed to be run and detailing, you know, fundamentals and all that. And then they change. So we'll see. I, You know, Reggie's been one of the better hires they've had over the years because, you know, yes, he's played, but he, but he relate not only he played, but he's, he relates, relates to the players. And maybe that's, you know, 80% of the job is relating to, to, to your, to the position group because you're, you're with them every day and you're, you're, you're having the hard discussions every day. So I, I hopefully this is a, this is, a, these will be nice additions to the Colts staff and the guys you're bringing back can continue again. The, the biggest hire, the biggest addition last year, maybe to the team, we'll see what I'm talking coaching staff, was Tony Sperano. You talk to these players, and like Ryan Kelly told us, you know, we'll run through a wall for this guy. I'm not sure that was the case with the previous guy. So coaching, you know, yes, it's a player's league, but so many times you see players do not develop under certain coaches, and some coaches they do. Hopefully, Steichen's putting together a pretty good staff. Chap, I think a year ago, many people, myself included, were happy that they retained Gus Bradley. The defense the year before, it felt like a group that you wouldn't want to fully upend. And last year, of course, they did not perform. But I think a large part of the blame would look at who's playing in the secondary. Did Chris Bauer really do the best of his abilities to set that defense up for success? Where is that balancing act this offseason between Chris Bauer and the need to better equip that defense, especially on the back end, versus Gus Bradley being a holdover from the previous regime? Well, as far as the players go, I mean, they they, they went the way they did going young with the draft picks, what was three draft picks, and they kept two that started at the end of the year, and young elsewhere with the idea that maybe they would really see benefits of this year in 2024. So, you know, I, I, that's still a position in need. It is, uh, whether it's a veteran, whether it's a draft pick, safety is a position that needs for the secondary still. Very much needs needs work and needs additions. That includes perhaps re-signing Kenny Moore, who is sort of like the, the glue that keeps that group together. So, yeah, and I sort of got the impression that 
Chris Ballard wanted somewhat of a different approach on defense, uh, more aggression. I don't know. I, I, just from when we talked to him after the season, that there might be some tweaks philosophically. Although sometimes a coach is who a coach is. You know, you know Tom Moore never changed his approach. Now I realize he had elite talent with Indy, but but whenever wherever he's been. Uh, he, he's adapted his scheme to players. You know, it's, it's a players' league from, as far as Tom Moore's concerned. So, we might see changes somewhat, but whether we'll be able to notice it that much, you know, watching, I don't know. But I thought, again, I thought the D line played really well. I still, I'm one of those guys. I wish they had a guy and a, and then a bunch of complimentary pieces as opposed to you know, four or five guys with seven or eight sacks. I'd rather have a guy that I know is week out, week out is going to demand attention and still going to get me some uh, disruptive plays. That's not what they've got right now. I, I don't know if Quiddy Pay and Dio will ever be that, you know, that lead dog type of guy. But if you add a, a top-level guy to that group, I mean, my goodness, what what might it be? So pro- probably a little bit of both, but they're obviously satisfied with Gus or he wouldn't be back. Mike Chappell is our guest. Of course, he is with WXIN 59 and CBS 4 talking about the Colts in the NFL. Uh, Mike, let's say hypothetically you're walking down the street. We'll use our genie analogy again or, or scenario. Genie pops out of a bottle. He says, all right, Mike, here's the deal. You can pick one of two things here. You can either agree that Michael Pittman Jr. is re-signed and brought back long-term to the Indianapolis Colts, and if that happens, you get 10000 bucks. Or you can say, no, they are not going to re-sign him. He's going to sign elsewhere. They're going to lose out on him. And if that happens, you get hundred grand. Which one do you take? Me? Yep. I Which one do you take? What's that? I take a grand because then I'd probably retire and not worry about it. Then I wouldn't care. Well, but what, uh, no, what I'm saying is if you if you go with that, in other words – you only get 10% the price if he does indeed re-sign, but that seems to, does that seem to be the safe play because of the fact that it seems a certainty? Is there any chance he walks is what I'm getting at? I don't think so. I just don't think so because if that's the case, you, you've always got to have plan B. We always talk about this and I ad nauseum that you can cut everybody, but then you got to replace everybody. And it's easy to say, Hey, let's let, let Michael, Pittman walk. We need, we need more. We need Justin Jefferson. We need Jamar Chase. We need something else. But once you cut him, then you got to replace him. And first of all, I don't, I don't want to diminish Michael Pittman at all. I, I, I don't think he's top ten. He probably hovers around twelve or thirteen. But if you let him walk, how do you replace him with a draft pick? How risky is that? With a with a with a free agent, first you don't know who's going to be out there because you're not going to know who's going to franchise whom or you know T Higgins and all these guys, Mike Evans. So and you're going to overpay for that guy. You know you're going to overpay for Michael Pittman because that's what you do, and that's what the market at receiver says. So I just I see very little chance of him not being here. To me, the, the question is: is it with a tag or a long term deal? And I think that's what they had to decide. Mike, are they going to have if they wanted to? And and I I do think Chap or that that Pittman stays right. They resign him. They come to an agreement. Whatever else. 
are they going to have the flexibility or interest to then go out and get not only Michael Pittman Jr., but a second receiver as well? Yes, both. They'll have the flexibility cap-wise and probably money-wise, and I think the interest in the need. I mean, bringing Michael Pittman back to me is is like almost a no-brainer because there's, there's no one on the roster where you can say, well, this guy's ready. You know, it's not like with it's not like with Marvin and Reggie, where when Marvin was about done, well, we've got Reggie, or like when Reggie was about done, they had Ty. Correct. Yeah, yeah. There was a there, natural handoff in all of those, yeah, right? It, and there's no handoff here. There just there just isn't. So if they were in a better position roster wise, maybe maybe they would consider that, but but they can't because because they're not. So that's why I say worst case he's back here on the franchise tag, which is I don't know twenty one million, and then we can get into when does he show up and you know which is if he's not here for the off season program and all that then it's going to hurt development with with the quarterback. But I just don't know again that they've taken any measures to be without him, and that sort of strengthens Pittman's stance a little bit. Uh, but I always go back to you're, you're going to overpay for free agents, whether it's Shaq Leonard or Braden Smith or, or, or Jonathan Taylor or Grover Stewart or whomever. I would rather overpay for somebody that I really, really have a good grip on as opposed to somebody who you vet, but you just don't know how will he fit in? What's his, you know, what's his motor really like? So I just think everything that's, that's transpired, tells you that they have to bring Pittman back and the only question again is going to be on 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 what type of a deal and I, I hope I think the Colts will be re, I hate to use the word reasonable because there's nothing reasonable about contracts but when when Chris Ballard said about the the, the receiver market he says it is what it is and if it costs four dollars to put cash in your car that's what you do so it sort of told me that they understand this is going to be you know, more of a player-friendly deal than a team-friendly deal. But at the same time, Michael Pittman has to be whatever that reasonable term is. Now, if he comes in here wanting twenty-five, twenty-six million, it's it's going to be tough. It just is. I think. I mean, top, at that point, you tag him, don't you? Like, if well, the tag it, is like twenty-three. If gets, if, yeah, if it gets to the point where it, you just think he's being unreasonable, and and Pittman could do that. I, I mean, he, he he understands the importance of a free of this first free agent deal because it's going to set him and his grandkids up forever. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think, but, but again, I, I think the Colts will be reasonable, whatever that means. And, but if, and, and if Pittman just comes in and says, you know, cause I think the top 12 receivers, they average right around 20 million, the top five might be 25. I, I had to look at it again, take Tyreek Hill off the list. Cause he's, he's that aberration that comes up every now and then. But will they be willing to give him that kind of money? What what might drive it? Maybe Pittman takes less per year because he gets more up front. As far as I'm concerned, up front money is is, is what you want. Uh, so, but we'll see. If both sides are are quote reasonable, this gets done. If one side's not, then worst case, it's a it's a franchise tag. Yeah, just to clarify that before I get to the next question. Dean Mike Chapel, Fox 9 and CBS4 is our guest. I've brought it up before. Jake just brought it up there. 
and you kind of alluded to it at the end, they would use the tag if it comes down to it. That's not it's not a negotiation of, oh well, we don't want to disgruntle him. We don't want a disgruntled star around. We're gonna let him walk because somebody paid him twenty eight million a year. That 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 is on the table as you understand it? Well, yeah, when we talked to Ballard, he said, yeah, it's a tool. And somebody said, well, well, would you be worried about ramifications, which means him not being here for a certain amount of time? And he said, no, we're not, we wouldn't, that wouldn't keep us from using it. But, you know, teams generally, if they really want a player back, they, that's like the, the, the tool of last resort. But, but it's, it's, it's in there for a reason. And players bitch and known about it, but, Players, players agreed to this to this bargaining agreement. They, they, they agreed to it, and the reason they agreed to this these franchise tags, which is restrictive to the to the elite players, to the top level players, is because you know eighty percent of the uh, of the union doesn't care about the, the franchise tag because they're never going to be involved with. It. They wanted they they wanted something else. So they gave they gave in to the to the franchise tag, which I understand. If I if I'm the fiftieth player on the roster, I'm not going to go to war so that the, the 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 quarterback or the receiver gets top money. I could care less about that. I want to get my quicker to free agency, more health, more health care, whatever. But so so again, the bottom line is this only involves, gosh, at most ten players a year, as far as maybe having to play under the franchise tag, and that's probably too many. But uh, it's it's a tool, and Ballard made it clear that it's a tool, and if they have to use it, they will, but it's something they would prefer not to if they don't need to. Chap, you've been around this sport, not just the team, but the sport as a whole for quite some time, and you've seen more than all ever process about the game. So I ask you this because it's become, to some extent, a mockery, especially before they made the switch to this new style of the event. But a two-part question, one – did you subject yourself to any of the Pro Bowl yesterday? And if the answer is no or yes, either way, the last year they had this thing where it wasn't flag football, or it was supposed to be a real game, you'd have offensive and defensive linemen basically doing handshakes when the ball was snapped. There was no real effort put forward when the pads were suited up. There wasn't a ton of effort in this flag football aspect of it, but it felt about as good as you would get in terms of what this game is with pads being off the table. So, A, did you watch any of the Pro Bowl? And, B, with what it is now, with the mini games and all that, versus what it was where, why are they even suiting up, do you feel like it's an improvement? Probably an improvement. I watch probably 90 seconds because I tend to channel surf from the best college basketball game on at the time and then just interest, in, but not very long. It did, because I think it's, I think it's entertaining – and I'm going to be interested in what the what the ratings will be. It'll still probably be higher than most NBA games, if you want to use that as a judge. So everybody bitches and moans about how bad the Pro Bowl is, and then you know X number of people watch it. But it's it's probably the one sport that you just can't. It's so hard to have a game because more now early on. I, I can still remember back in the Marshall Falk days, he got. He was like MVP. Because oh, it was a big he was deal. Rookie. He set the record for most rushing played, yards, right? Oh, and he had a – it was either a fake punt or something because the veterans were out there half-assing it, and Marshall's playing. He's playing football. But it's just, it's just too many guys can get hurt. I can remember back – and I always date myself. Uh, they played one of these 
one of these ancillary games where it was it was beach it was beach football, and a Buffalo rookie, Robert Edwards, a running was, back, really he was New England, wasn't he? Robert Edwards. I thought it was Buffalo, maybe New England. I thought it was Buffalo, whatever. And he he blew out every ligament in his knee, and, and probably never came back and played at a very high level. So it's just hard to do that. I would rather see dodgeball and accuracy passing as opposed to trying to put on a game where, like you said, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they stand up, play patty cake, and then... The mini games were fun, chap. To your point, like, they did tug-of-war, they, they did sled yeah. pushes, they they had, like, okay. big, big... Okay. No, I'm serious, they had big offensive and defensive linemen running through an agility drill. Like, it was... I, I watched more than I'm proud of, okay? I'm going to admit it's it here. Fun, I watched funny, more than I'm proud watching, of. I was, watching, I was watching some of the agility drills where they go in and out in the cones and all this, and it reminded me of... I, my, my daughter's got me into watching the New York Kennel Club occasionally. <laughs> okay. And you see these little dogs, these corkies or whatever, going in and out and doing these weaves. I'm thinking, holy crap, these guys, these dogs would knock the combine out, out the door. That's right. Do you think that's what the league was going for with their skills challenge? I think that was the market they wanted to corner? <laughs> I mean, my, my daughter would probably watch it then. So, But, but it, I, I think they've done about as much to tweak it as they can with what they've got. So good for them. It, 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 anything beats the, 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 the trying to act like this is a game when everyone knows it's not a game. And it, I, I know I remember a lot of times players would go to the Pro Bowl because it was in, it was in Honolulu. And they like to have that week with their family and all that. And, well, if we're here, we better try to do something. But, you know, whether it, whether it maintains that appeal – in Orlando, we'll see, but I think they've done as much with it as they can, considering the, the type of sport you're trying to deal with in, in an all-star setting. Mike, I'm going to ask you one thing on the way out here that has nothing to do with anything we've talked about in terms of the NFL or the Pro Bowl. You ready? Ready. I'll probably do this to you every so often, but I think sometimes there are certain people or certain gifts or certain legacies that just need to be kept around because people enjoy it or because they they just were so different. Right. So within that capacity, in terms of safe for radio, give me your best moment that defined Robin Miller and made him different. Oh, wow. Uh, Walking down the New Jersey Turnpike after going to uh, Atlantic City when the Colts were playing the Giants, I'm sure, and and our, our our taxi cab essentially blew up. The the, the brakes went out on, and, and our taxi was on fire. And we got out on the turnpike, and we're Ed Harding. I can't think of who the guy was with Channel Eight. We're walking down the Jersey Turnpike, and with a six pack of beer, and we get in a beat up station wagon with some guy from Deliverance. And he's got a German Shepherd caged in the back. And we got in that guy's car because Robin thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and I'm still alive to talk about it. And at the time, I thought I was going to die. Now, here's the thing, so, chap. For those that don't know Robin Miller, for 99.9% of the population, getting in that guy's car was a bad idea. But when you have Robin <laughs> Miller, you've gone three miles. And I'm betting that Robin, by the end of the three miles, was not only best friends with that guy, got him tickets to the game, probably yep. pet the dog, and had treats for it. Yep, yep. It's a bad, in the time he would go to the, you know, he always had to get back for Sunday night 
for the TV so he would be late at the airport. So he would he would drop the rental car off at the at at, at the gate, you know, outside, outside the airport, and, and tell the, the the red cat guy, hey, if you get a chance, take this car back to the rental property. So he's, <laughs> he's probably given a couple of these these guys these attendants cars, but I tell you. Somebody, what, what, maybe it was Mario Andretti said that there's only Robin Miller because, you know, they 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 broke the they broke the mold or whatever. But uh, I, I miss him every day. I go by I go by Long's Donuts in Southport. I think about going in there and getting a donut just for Robin, but uh, he, he he will always be missed. Chab, I'm telling you, I I don't know that people, and I always got a kick out of it when there would be people in the racing circles. It, and as we've talked about before, Mike, the thing that was so fascinating about Robin is he had his he had his gambling family, he had his racing family, he had his old Pacers family. I mean, it was amazing. Yep. But the I don't know that people realized, chap. I don't know that there will ever again be a writer or a media person in this town that had the overwhelming access to everyone like he did. I mean, he's the only guy I know. That if he called AJ Foyt or Mario and Dirty at three o'clock in the morning, instead of cussing him out, they'd immediately answer the phone and go, "Man, what's going on?" You know what I mean? And this is AJ Foyt that sued him. Yeah, or, yeah. or punched him or whatever. Punched I mean, him, yeah, in like seventy. What, what was that? That was probably early eighties when he wrote. Yeah, I mean that, that's why you know, and Robin just nothing didn't care, but he, he he wrote what he wanted to write, and if it you know pissed somebody off, well, I'll deal with that. <laughs> do you tomorrow. remember? Do you remember when Robin? I think he was the most proud of this. When when AJ Foyt got out of his car one year and said, "Well, it's just a big old tub up, you know, blank, right?" And so Robin Miller, for the rest of the month, when listing AJ Foyt's car, would put TOS Copenhagen, you know, Ford Ilmore, whatever. And finally, AJ Foyt said to me, "You keep writing this wrong. What is this TOS? Well, it's what you called it, right?" And then yeah, he slapped him at one point, and they and then they ended up and of course only Robin Miller could have somebody punch him, and then end up those two guys were thick as thieves towards the end, right? It 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 it's a it, like I say he, he was a rare person. I couldn't live like he did. The way he gambled, you know, early days at the Star, you get you'd get your money, your checks, and you could have X number of money taken out to put in a credit union. I looked at his check one time, the hard check, I was like $4.75 because <laughs> he had everything else taken out. So he could, so, you know, I have to get my condo paid for, get my car paid for. So at least he knew his limitations a little. I would love, <laughs> I would love to know the amount of money he won or lost gambling. I'll bet they're staggering amounts. And, and he, he just, he just did things his way, which there's a lot of things he shouldn't have done. I'm, uh, I'll be the first to admit that, but one of a kind, and you know, I, I say miss him every day, and it, it's probably a good thing they only made one of him because no you know it's it, hey. it's just the way he was. You didn't pay for a lot of meals when you went out with him, though. I'll tell you that no. much. Unbelievable. Uh, we, had, we, we 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 went over to Iria's, which is one of the best spots, and for for his birthday one night, and people would just come and go when they're done working and. He ended up getting stuck with like a two hundred dollar bill because people would leave like ten bucks even though they spent twenty for dinner. Oh yeah. He he cussed like a sailor about having to pay for his own <laughs> birthday dinner. So yeah. that's what you get. Chap, we appreciate the time as always. Talk to you next week.
All right, Mike Chappell, WXIN and CBS4. Robin was absolutely, he's right, man, one of a kind. I know listeners of this station got to know him over the years through his fabulous um, interviews with JMV. And, man, you know, I, I, I'll tell this story real quick, and I know we're over it, but I don't know what maybe we got thinking about Robin there. But when I first started dating Shannon, at some point I, I – I mentioned that I was friends with Robin Miller. I was doing something, and she said, oh, Robin Miller, yeah, I, I I, can't stand Robin Miller. And I said, why would you not like Robin Miller? He's a great guy. And she said, well, he wrote some negative things about my dad, and it upset me and whatever else. And I said, well, you should ask your dad, see if he's bothered by it. So she asked her dad, and her dad said, oh, no, Robin's the best. So I said, Robin, this, this girl I'm dating, you know, mad at you or whatever. And so he said, really? Oh, yeah, I know Shannon, da, da, da. So flash forward like five years later, and I say to Shannon one day, I go, so what do you got going on tomorrow at work? And she goes, oh, not much, da, 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 And then I got my lunch with Robin. I said, what? She goes, oh, yeah, Robin would take Shannon and her like two two coworkers to lunch like every other Thursday for like five years, like after that, for like five years. They were like best friends. She was like, and like anybody that knew Robin, she was devastated upon his passing, obviously, but that's just how he was, man. The guy, the, literally, you didn't meet anybody that met him that didn't immediately feel like they had been lifelong friends with him. He was absolutely the best. Uh, speaking of the best, we saw it last night in Madison. I'll explain, and we'll go over that and the mess in B-Town next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. We have tickets to give away for July 10th. This band you will hear, Yacht Rock Review, along with Train and Ario Speedwagon. And I want you to look out. I assume it's still sunny outside. Can you bend and see through the... We have a window in here where you can look out and see. I just ripped my headset. I got nothing, Jake. I'm hoping it's still sunny because I'm saying it's sunny. And if it's not, my apologies. It was when I got here. But you look, go look out up your a window right camp? now. See the sunshine and think to yourself, you know what? What would be better than sitting at Ruoff, enjoying some soft music in July... You could sit on the Independence Day celebration on July 4th and think to yourself, you know what, this is great, but I'm six days away from seeing a band at Ruoff under the stars, hanging out, having a cold one. Diet Coke, perfectly sufficient as well. And if you would like to do exactly that to see either of those three bands or all three in one sitting, uh, we have tickets right now to give away. We have two pair to give away. 
And we will do them with what number caller, Jimmy, if you will? Caller's what? So caller two and caller six. Andrew Nimhard, right? Who's number six? Trying to think of a number six. Bill Russell, Julius Irving. I mean, I know they've been more relevant since then. LeBron switched to six, then back. He was, yeah, he's played everything, right? Nope. Uh, anyway, callers two and six, you are on your way. Last night, or actually yesterday afternoon, Jimmy, I thought what we saw was a preview of March, hopefully, if you are Purdue. And by the way, the latest Associated Press college basketball ranking is out. The Boilermakers still second behind Connecticut. But if you are right there, who is 25th, Jimmy? New Mexico. So the Lobos of New Mexico and Richard Pitino, if they sniff in, they're like, what does that smell? It smells like bark and leaves. That smells like trees. That's because lurking. Within sniffing distance now of being ranked, the Sycamores of Indiana State, 28th. Yeah, they're going to have bites at the apple here to get in the AP Top 25, not just because of the votes they're receiving, 53 total votes their way, but Utah State just lost to San Diego State, 81-67. to They dropped five spots, 19-3 on the year. Texas Tech clinging to a Top 25 spot. They're 23rd in the nation right now. 16-5 and dropped eight spots after a loss to Cincinnati by three. But you have St. Mary's, and then who's in front of Indiana State and the others receiving votes? TCU. Okay, TCU. Indiana State got five votes last week. They're up to the 50s now in terms of their votes, so right there. So Indiana State's playing good ball, and they are very well coached. They are efficient offensively. Their guards can shoot. And then you look at Purdue yesterday, and you have to be encouraged if you are a Purdue fan. For a couple of reasons. Number one, Zach Eady at the jump ball has the guy holding his arm down and loses a jump ball, and it was kind of indicative of his day. He still goes for, I think, 18 and 13, but he just wasn't himself yesterday, Zach Eady. They never really offensively got flow going through the middle. They didn't necessarily establish Eady as a dominant presence underneath the basket. It was not their go-to with each possession of going in and allowing their offense to facilitate off of what was available for him. But they controlled the game for the most part. Five to seven point game for the most part for Purdue. I know at halftime I think it was a bucket. But they got out, they made a quick run, a quick punch to start the second half, and then after that they were able to, to get things going. Now, This is a game, Jimmy, that Purdue does not win a year ago, period. They're on the road. They're playing a hostile crowd. They're playing a top 10 team. I mean, Wisconsin's sixth in the country, right? What is Wisconsin now in the AP poll? The Badgers are 11th. So they dropped five spots, which is interesting to lose at home to the number two ranked team. But... um, Purdue in that game didn't get Edie established. And I had said earlier, there was a time where I thought to myself that the best strategy for Purdue might be to, I'm not saying at this point in the year, but if I was Matt Painter, I, I would 
I would, at the beginning of the year, like in October, I would take games, one or two of them, and sit Edie and force Purdue to learn how to play without him. And I thought last year there were times where Purdue, if Edie was negated, looked like they were struggling to figure out how to play without him. Late in that game yesterday, Jimmy, a minute to go in the game, Purdue's up six. Wisconsin's got a chance to cut the lead in half. Wisconsin's got a chance at most to get within, or at the least to get within two possessions. And Wisconsin misses. Lance Jones gets the ball and is going down the floor. And you're thinking, okay, you're inside of a minute now. Do you salt clock? He sees an opening. He turns on the Jets and he scores. I mentioned this earlier. And Purdue goes up eight and they never relinquish that lead. Now, that is a play that doesn't happen a year ago. I thought yesterday Lance Jones was outstanding. I thought he shot the ball well for them. Braden Smith was able to hit in operating areas in the middle of the lane. They, yes, Mason Gillis might not have been vintage Mason Gillis, and Zach Eady was not yesterday, even at 18 and 13, he was not vintage Zach Eady, and Purdue was able to offset that by other pieces knowing their role and lifting up. And to me, it was extremely encouraging and flat out. That is not a game Purdue wins a year ago. I completely agree with you. The addition of Lance Jones in the offseason continues to be flexed and relished by Matt Painter and by the Purdue faithful about the entirety of this campaign. It is a situation where late a team a year ago probably craps the bed, gives it up, and winds up losing that game because of how flummoxed they were at times and a little careless with the basketball the last couple possessions, but they're able to, as you mentioned, reestablish themselves and regain the lead. One thing I will note, Purdue has a feeling of inevitability about them on a nightly basis now, more so than did a year ago because it appears they have fixed all their flaws and the growth from a guard standpoint from Fletcher Lawyer, from Braden Smith, even Mason Gillis, game by game, season over season, is exactly why there's no longer a clear Achilles heel to this Purdue team like there was a year ago. You can't look at them and say, hey, this is the exact way you beat them and you're going to have a good chance if you implement this strategy. That is now gone. One thing I will note, though, because like any team in college basketball, they are mortal. And I'm not saying you can count on a Zach Eady performance like that on a nightly basis. That, I think, is a clear anomaly. But another thing from how they performed yesterday that based on their body of work this season... They earn a pass, they earn a reprieve for it, and I do think it is another anomaly, much like Zach Eady's struggles is, they did not shoot the ball particularly well from outside. That was in part because of Wisconsin's defense, and give credit to Purdue, they limited Wisconsin's ability to ever get in a rhythm from beyond the arc. But if there is one area where the bugaboo against Purdue, when we get into the real high-stakes medal rounds of an NCAA tournament run, your guards cannot have nights like this at least from beyond the arc, because if you run into a team that is more high-efficient shooting, a la Nebraska, a la Northwestern, you put yourself in danger of dropping in March. Again, this is not an indictment on them because they got the win. It's more of a warning sign of, is this an anomaly game, or is this something that you look back on and say, hey, this is what Wisconsin did well to limit them from beyond the arc. Now, the Wisconsin, by the way, dropped two straight because yeah. they had lost to Nebraska before, so that's the reason they lost. Now, you talk about guard play. That takes us to the other side of things. I have bad news, and I don't – listen, I don't want to be this guy. I don't. I don't. But I'm going to be this guy. 
Indiana fans, it's over. It's over this year. I don't know what next year brings. They have one recruit coming in that is a big-time recruit. I don't think that Indiana probably is going to have much of the roster they have this year. I have no idea, for example, if C.J. Gunn transfers. I don't, does it hurt you? No. I have no idea if Anthony Walker transfers. Does it hurt you? I don't know that McKenzie Ambaco comes back next year. I don't know that that hurts either. Indiana, it's over. And in terms of the Mike Woodson era, is it over? Well, he's not going anywhere. Quinn Buckner is the head of the Board of Trustees, and that is as much his hire as, as Scott Dolson's. And I don't think Mike Woodson's going anywhere unless he decides he wants to go. But here is the fact for Indiana fans. Here's the facts. It is a fact that Indiana has a 66-year-old coach. It's not a bad thing per se. He's got NBA background and experience. But with each passing year, that relevance in itself becomes more distant. It's been a while since he's been in the NBA, and yeah, he might have Carmelo Anthony be able to call a 16-year-old and tell him to go play for him, But a 16-year-old right now, believe it or not, Carmelo Anthony, he probably doesn't remember seeing Carmelo Anthony play. Certainly has Carmelo Anthony. Indiana has talent. Khalil Ware is a talented player. And give him credit, he has come back from injury and he plays hard and he's played well. And that was the boogaboo about him coming out of Oregon. Mackenzie Mbako has talent. He's a top five recruit. And he can shoot the basketball, but he hadn't shown that he can do it consistently at Indiana. But those are two guys that two other programs said, you know what, we're good. Khalil Ware at Oregon, Dane Altman said, we're good. McKenzie Ambaco at Duke at the 11th hour, Duke said, you know what, we're okay, We're, we're good. It might be better for you to open your recruiting back up. That's exactly what happened, by the way. And other coaches are going into recruits' houses and saying, listen, Mike Woodson is a nice guy but he doesn't have the energy to be able to do what's necessary in college basketball today. I'm not saying it's fact. I'm saying that opinion's out there. Factual. I'm not saying it's the right one, but that opinion is out there. And certainly, Mike Woodson's demeanor does not do anything to devalue that opinion. Mike Woodson, I think, knows the game of basketball and has been a great soldier within the Indiana University basketball family. But the bottom line is this. I talked about it earlier. For Indiana, the time has come to rip it clean and start completely over. Now, my buddy Paul says they need to get out of Assembly Hall altogether because so long the only coach that had coached in Assembly Hall from the time it opened until the year 2000 was Bob Knight, and the, the building is cursed over the fact that Bob Knight's not coaching there anymore and he was fired. A little bit flippancy there, but I understand the the reality is this. Bob Knight was a great coach. Indiana basketball was a great part of the fiber of who we are. Indiana basketball was a great thing that I was passionate about along with a lot of Indiana fans. But the longer that we sit around and kumbaya about the olden days, the more we're holding ourselves back. We just are. It's over. The banners are ancient. The, the tradition and the legacy, yes, it's great for guys like me to sit around and talk about it. And you know what? I also love watching the We Are the World documentary on Netflix, but it doesn't mean that the vast majority of that stuff is relevant today. 
I am absolutely somebody that is guilty at times of overliving in the past, but nobody is more guilty of it than Indiana. And the longer that they have somebody, we got to get an Indiana guy, we got to get an Indiana guy. No, at this point, you need to go out and get a coach who comes in and says, I'm bigger than Indiana, quite frankly. I'm a guy that has track record. I'm a guy that can win. I'm a guy that can bring you wins. I can I can bring you titles. And I'm going to do it here at Indiana because I want to show people that I still have it within me. Like a Rick Pitino, a John Calabari. Guys that still have an energy. Bruce Pearl. Yeah, they don't have the scruples. Great. You got rid of Kelvin Sampson, who probably would have won a title there by now, for the right reasons because at the time, the rules that were being broken, it wasn't even the fact that Sampson broke the rules. It was the fact that he was an arrogant jerk about it and had bad characters all around him. That's why he was gone. But for Indiana, everybody wants to sit around and live in the past, and the past is so faded at this point that it's not even like... Literally, it, it's it's like three generations ago in terms of basketball life. And Indiana is holding itself back by sitting there and saying that they have to have somebody that is a link to a past that is already eroded, and that past has now become detrimental to Indiana's future. Because every time Indiana wants to take a step forward, the ghost of Christmas past is pulling it back. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. The time has come now to kick the ghost of Christmas past and say we've had great Christmases, but we're moving forward because it's over. They're not going to make the tournament. They play like a disaster. They're poorly constructed. They have no idea what it means to represent Indiana. They're about NIL money. Indiana's got guys smoking cigars, putting out videos about how great it is to get a five-star that doesn't know Indiana from Iowa from Illinois. They just know it's a stepping stone to the NBA. And right now, they are stuck in mediocrity. They're stuck in the vat of suck. And they're 13-9. and nine. They're 5-6 and six in the Big Ten. They're not going to make the NCAA tournament. But at least they're going to have Purdue and Indiana State to watch and represent when Selection Sunday comes. I can't believe today was a good day. Look, I don't want to be that guy. I don't. But I'm telling you, like, yesterday, like, for for Indiana, it has not been a good day for a long time. Ice Cube can sing about it all he wants, right? IU doesn't have anybody that can even mess around and get a triple-double, right? They just don't. Like, and like these Indiana fans that are all like, you know, like all the guys I grew up with. Oh, but it's Indiana. It's different. No, it's not. It's not. Indiana, like you got to think in the mind of a 16, 17-year-old kid. By the way, somebody earlier said that I had a senior moment. Somebody on the YouTube chat said I was having a senior moment. What would my senior moment have been? Do you know, Jimmy? I don't. Can't place it. I did notice today that the gray is really coming. You know, I keep the hair short on the side because you can't tell how gray it is. It's pretty gray. It's either it's, that or maybe you had a slip of some kind that I just missed. I don't know. Now you just got to be like, get off my lawn. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing, right, Kyle? Wait, wait till the final hour of the show. <laughs> get off my lawn. I, I'm telling you, like, I don't want to be that guy, though. But listen. Here's my issue. And I am not, Jake, to be clear, the Indiana fan that just points to the banners and say that that is a legacy thing and that's all that matters. But... And I'm not saying keep Mike Woodson for the sake of keeping Mike Woodson, but I think you and I are both in agreement. He's going to be there next year. Like barring, unless this thing gets really ugly to the point that the board of trustees is like, okay, you know what? We're just going to eat the money and start over from scratch. At some point, Indiana no longer becomes a joke of itself like it already is in terms of what it used to be. 
it becomes a rest stop for a coach to kick the tires there for three years before an axe inevitably comes down. Right. And I'm not saying that means that Mike Woodson deserves a third year but or a fourth season, but I don't know. It's easy to say, go get insert name here. I need to see somebody what I'm better saying, Jimmy, before what I'm, I'm ready to make that jump. Here's the crux Indiana has, okay? Because this year's over. We're in agreement on that. Totally. Like, and next not, year doesn't look any better, right? There's nothing that could happen this season that would make me suddenly say, hey, my point is this. It's a good year. Indiana needs to quit going out and getting a coach, and I'm not talking about Woodson. Indiana's biggest problem is they think that that bringing that, that they are doing a coach a favor by right. hiring them in Indiana. This is Indiana, so like now you've arrived. No, it, that's over. Indiana now needs to say we need a coach that's going to come in here and he's bringing his brand to Indiana instead of Indiana using their brand to 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 get a coach. They need to they need a coach now that's going to come in and say no no no. I, I am as big, and I know that Indiana never wanted to do that. We never want to again have a coach that's as big as the university. That's what they need now. And they're the the xenophobic nature of the Indiana basketball culture of we have to have an IU guy, we have to have an IU guy. Well, you have one now, right? But unfortunately, it's one that at no fault of his, it's not his fault he's 66 years old, but let's be real. Mike Woodson played at Indiana in 1980. 80. 44 years ago, 28 years before a kid that he walks in to recruit now. I mean, at this point, a senior in high school or a sophomore in high school that's being recruited by Indiana, his parents don't even remember seeing Mike Woodson play. So then you fall back to, but he has NBA coaching experience and can get NBA players to come to Indiana. And what a coup that is. Well, how's that working out for you? Because you got the five stars out there and they're out there with a bunch of guys that can't can't play, period. They have no idea how to play. They can't shoot from the outside. It's a disaster. It's a dumpster fire. They're 13-9. and nine. It's an embarrassment. It's a disgrace. Fans are over it, but they all want to hang on to the past, and the past is what's holding them back. Period. Well, the only reason the Indiana guy argument came up is because eventually the voices got loud enough because they tried to do it other ways. They tried to go find a guy that because established himself somewhere else. Because they went after the wrong else. people. Sure. Correct. Right. And, and Archie Miller, I thought, was a good hire at the, at the time. Guilty as charged, right? But... They they went after the, Indiana. Always thought Indiana's in this predicament, Jimmy, because they thought they were better than other can, than candidates. They thought they were better than John Calipari. Why wouldn't? Why in the hell would you not have made when Brian Evans said, "Look, John Calipari wants to come to Indiana." Why did you not say to Brian Evans, "Are we picking you up yeah. at noon or one o'clock tomorrow to drive and go get him?" Unbelievable. Alan Carpick next. Two o'clock hour. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. 
My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. It is called Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We welcome to the company. He is the director of Purdue Knowledge, Alan Karpik from goldenblack.com to talk about the Boilermakers and their win yesterday. Alan, I'll begin right with this, and you feel free to tell me either that you disagree or to expand on why you would agree with this statement. I thought Purdue yesterday, uh, that was a great win for them. That goes without saying. But I thought it was a win that perhaps they would not have gotten a year ago and that it showed the maturation and the versatility of the Boilermakers. What say you? I say I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think you know it, it's, it's somewhat simple when you look at how last year ended and how it didn't, you know. It was magnified, obviously, by the loss in the tournament and, and at the time in the tournament that Purdue lost. But certainly last year, it seemed to be that games where Edie wasn't as good and he wasn't against Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, he wasn't the only one, certainly, uh, but th- that that made a difference. And now you're seeing Purdue. Lance Jones has made a huge difference. Braden, you know, Braden Smith's um, maturation, continued maturation, I should say, has made him uh, uh, just outstanding. So, yes, you're, I think that's a true statement to, because Wisconsin's a heck of a lot better than they were last year, and that's a tough place to play. Alan, what did Wisconsin do? Like, if you were an NCAA tournament coach – and you realize that if you win your game on Thursday, that you're probably going to face Purdue on Saturday. So you tell your assistants, pull the Wisconsin game, and let's see what they did against Zach Eady. It did seem that Eady was a little out of flow yesterday. Was that Zach Eady just having an off day, or did Wisconsin give him different looks than he has seen otherwise? You know, I'm not an expert at breaking down film, but I, I thought there might have been – Certainly some of that, but I also thought that was just a, another sign of E letting the game come to him. Now, you know, I, I understand he missed four free throws, and he was, what, 7 for 13 from the field, so not as good as he has been in the past. Uh, I understand all that. But how good is Braden Smith and Lance Jones and guys being able to do things that, that, that Purdue needs to do to win? And I just think that Edie has a lot to do with it wasn't his best game. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also just think this kid's all about winning. And uh, if it's Lance Jones, if it's Braden Smith, it doesn't matter to him. I thought in the first half it was a good sign that it's few shot, a few shots that Edie got in the first half, Purdue was still ahead in that game. They weathered the initial storm of the first part of the basketball game. And, again, these are, those are all just really, really good signs if you're a Purdue fan looking down the road. It's hard to say this after a win, Alan, because Purdue faithful are happy. Matt Painter's happy. He knows there's still stuff to clean up and making sure that they are in tip-top shape as they pursue yet another Big Ten regular season title and beyond making a deep run into March. But the only thing that, if I'm being critical, that I saw yesterday was their three-point shooting wasn't where it has been throughout their body of work of the season and a team like Wisconsin, in part due to Purdue's defense, shot worse than them, which is rare when you have an off night, the other team is also going to have an off night. Do you look at their performance from beyond the arc as more an anomaly game, and it was just a tough matchup on the road in the Big Ten for points to come by from beyond the arc? Or is that something that, well, let's circle this and see how the next couple weeks of the season play out for the Purdue guards? You know, I would be a little more concerned about 
and this is, again, probably short-term in basketball, as we know the wonderful world of college basketball has its ups and downs. But I would be maybe more concerned if Purdue gets its free throw shooting back on track, mainly Zach Eady. And that's really – we are nitpicking with a capital N here with with Eady's performance uh, when you look at how he has shot free throws the last two games. He's been outstanding for the vast, vast majority of this season. No, I I don't know. You know, it was weird yesterday. uh, Gillis hits a three that gets called back because of a foul right in front of it. I mean, one made shot in there, and all of a sudden your percentage isn't all that all that different. I thought that uh, the biggest thing that, that I saw yesterday was produce three-point field goal defense. Now, Wisconsin, and Brian Newbert from our staff does a great job of bringing this stuff out, is not your same Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin took some bad shots after watching the game again today. Uh, somewhat uncharacteristic to them in terms of how they handled it. They didn't turn the ball over very much, except for in the last couple minutes, but they only had, like, five turnovers. But I, I think that Purdue's field goal defense was as much of a story here. It is. There's no question. When you get down into the tournament, even in game one, look what happened last year, That those numbers, five for 26, that will be forever uh, etched in the brains of Purdue fans and with, with what Paul Purdue shot in the – uh, game against FDU last year, but this is a team that has generally shot very well. And if it has one bad performance from three, it gets it back. How many games? Uh, you know, you're not going to see many games that Fletcher Lawyer does not attempt a three pointer. But I thought that that was a was also somewhat telling with Purdue because Lawyer's doing what he has to do on the road, get the ball into Edie, let Edie make some plays. He didn't have as many of them as he did yesterday. But when you have Lance Jones and when you have uh, Braden Smith also making plays, especially in the first half to weather that storm and then doing the job from the most part in the second half, uh, I think that that's a, that's a huge thing. And in the last nitpick is you, you want to handle the, the press better. That's always a bit of bugaboo. Not, I mean, always a concern about any team. And Braden Smith, uh, his two turnovers in the last – last minute or so he'd like to have especially have the second one back uh, I don't think you're going to see that a lot but I think what you've seen out of Purdue a lot this year is learning from what they didn't do well and trying to adjust and make it better next game you know it's interesting when you look at their schedule I, I think we we kind of sleep on this but you know it's been kind of a a real gauntlet here for Purdue right and I guess now they get a chance to kind of sleep in a little bit maybe that's good although you think at college kids Alan that Energy isn't necessarily as critical, although I, I think it is a factor. But I want to ask you this. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Alan Karpik, that you know, Purdue's core, let's say their 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 core three, you would say certainly Edie, Braden Smith, and then who would you put as the third? Probably Fletcher Lawyer. I don't know how you go go away from Lance Jones. Uh, or Lance Jones. Well. I mean I, I, I think that and I think Lawyer and Lawyer gets some gnashing of teeth from Purdue fans from time to time. Uh, uh, but he made some huge plays yesterday. You know, this is a huge overstatement, and, and I get it because there are there are what thirteen other teams, soon to be seventeen other teams in the Big Ten. But if you put in Brian Newbert, I'll get I'll credit my colleague on this talking about. Purdue's got guys, four guys that are at the all Big Ten level. They're not all going to make first team all Big Ten. But I think Lawyer Smith Jones. And Edie are in that way. And if you and if you somehow were able to put um, Trey Kaufman, Ren, and Mason Gillis into one body, you're pretty much at that level as well. So Purdue's got a lot going on for it. It's all going well. 
But uh, I don't know. I don't know how you can play a whole lot better than Lance Jones has been playing here of late. That huge three he made where he kind of had the hitch was was just uh, at a key time in the game and also a couple of his driving. And I think the other thing about Jones, and we've talked about this before, memory is a difficult thing, and there are things that you have to exercise. I think Purdue has done that. No, that's E-X-O-R, I should say that, uh, you know, based on last year. Lance Jones has no memory of that. He's just about playing. And I'm not saying that the other guys are haunted by it, but this will help them, I think, a great deal, uh, even the Cam, Cam and Heidi's of the world, too, that uh, they're moving forward. And Jones, does, it doesn't matter what happened to Purdue to Jones last year. Uh, he's going to be ready to go. And he just doesn't show any sign, any sign of slowing down uh, in tight, tough situations. And that is worth its weight in gold if you're Matt Painter and his staff. Of the complementary players, Alan, so let's say Lance, we'll put Lance Jones and Lawyer all together. So let's say there's four core pieces. Of the complementary players for Purdue, the one that has been the most consistent for them is who? Mason Gillis. I don't think there's any question about that. He, he has been – Terrific. I understand he didn't score. He, in fact, you know, you're going to look at the box score from last night, last yesterday, and if you don't pay much attention to Purdue, say, well, wait, Purdue's got a problem with its bench. Only scored two points. Uh, Mason Gillis had a couple of free throws. But Mason Gillis made plays when Purdue had his offensive rebound late in the second half when it was getting hairy for Purdue. That is a winning play. I, I just think, I think the world of Gillis, and I think the fact that he has um, – uh, you know, not not starting. He's been starting for three years, uh, much of the last three years, I should say. And uh, to be able to subjugate yourself. And another guy with absolutely no blind, it seems like, every week, and that's Ethan Morton. Uh, I, you know, again, there are things. Ethan Morton may not be the greatest scorer in the world, but he comes in and does the job and does it. He doesn't care if he scores. And, and that's just a very, Matt Painter and staff, very lucky to have a group of guys and even Caleb first though first is certainly not playing as much of late uh, but all three of those guys have been starters in the past and they have made a huge difference on this team even though the box score doesn't always show that so then Alan of that supporting cast the other side of it would be this the one that has the most capability for them and it's a huge shot in the arm when he plays well but has the greatest potential for kind of disappearing and has been the most inconsistent amongst the supporters. Oh boy, that's I, I you know I don't I, I'm not sure there's really been anybody. You know I think I think it'll be interesting to see. And he didn't play much yesterday, though he did play a little bit. Um, is is Camden Heidi certainly is a guy that that uh, they're going to defend may depend on more defensively, especially if they have. You know, as coaches always say, it's all about matchups in the NCAA tournament. It's all and, about And he's given them some quality minutes, right? So you certainly know he it's there, right? Absolutely has. He just doesn't play enough to matter. You know, Caleb First might be the flavor of the month for a guy that, that just, you know, again, he's just lost in the shuffle as much as anything. I mean, he's not been as good, uh, arguably, but he's just not getting the minutes that he's used to getting. Uh, and that's been the case over the last couple of years in some ways because of, because of the role of Zach Eady. So I would be hesitate to put first because I don't think it's fair to him just based on the role he's played. I think the guy that could deliver you in the NCAA tournament or in the Big Ten tournament or at crunch time that might be a little bit of a surprise to people is Heidi just because he is a defender. And as they always say, defense travels. And he may come, come in very handy 
with a particular matchup in in, in an NCAA tournament game uh, where you need a little bit more length, you a little bit need a little bit more ability to defend than Purdue might be able to have with the group it puts on the court right now. Alan Karpik, president of goldenblack.com is our guest. Alan, we know about the scar tissue that this group in particular has <laughs> developed over the last couple of seasons in March. And when you look at what they've experienced this year, of course you want to go undefeated, right? You want the perfect season. You want to win a national championship. There's no such things as moral victories, but you can still learn and grow from struggles, from losses. You go back at the start of the season, they go out and have an impressive run all the way winning in Maui with victories over Gonzaga, who, you know, whatever, they're down year for them, but a strong win over Tennessee. They survive against Marquette. They survive adversity there. They have two losses to their name where they've experienced court storms against them. And then against Wisconsin, you have a cardiac arrest-like moment with a minute and a half to go in that game, and they survive, as Jake pointed out. That's a win they probably don't obtain in that same circumstance a year ago. In terms of what they have experienced both in the past with this group and what they've done this year and what they've fought through, even only having lost two games, have they experienced enough to be maybe not immune, but less susceptible to the pitfalls of March when it arrives? Well, Jimmy, I think anybody's susceptible to it just because they're, they're humans and, they, and they, they make mistakes. But I would agree that Purdue is much more hardened, and that just comes from a year of playing. I also think, and Zach Eady is a man of very, very, very few words, extremely soft-spoken, but I think one of the leaders, he's become, they have a lot, they have several leaders on this team, and they all seem to roll at different places. So I, I think that Eady has an edge. He's, he came back this year to play uh, at a high level. I know there might have been financial considerations, not only with NIL, but what was ultimately going to be his NBA draft status, but you've got a guy that is playing with an edge. And Braden Smith, by definition, plays with an edge. He played with an edge yesterday over chirping at the refs that I think they had to kind of move him away from the the officials a couple times. He's going to continue to play that way. Gillis has so much of that quality. I think Purdue is extremely well positioned uh, because of, yes, those those battle scars over the last uh, three years, to be honest. And that, and the inability to win in the NCAA tournament, that that weighs heavily on seniors like uh, Mason Gillis and Ethan Morton, uh, especially that were around, and Zach Eady too, that were around for those games. So it's definitely definitely a factor. Alan, I'm going to throw at you a prediction, and I want you, Alan Carpick, who knows Purdue more than anybody, to grade my prediction. I do this a lot on the program, okay. Uh, okay. And, I, and I'm and Alan just do so I get, do I get paid? <laughs> you do, yeah. And, and here's the thing: I, I I am a lifelong C student, so don't feel like you've got to be kind so here, much. okay? All right, all right. Um, Zach Eady, a year ago, when people talked about his NBA draft stock, there was discussion that he would be a second round pick because. The game has moved away from what Zach Eady brings to the table at the professional level. This year, it is a, by all account, a drier draft or one that is void of talent after a certain point. My prediction is that Zach Eady, through the process, and by that I mean the NBA combine and the private workouts and whatever else, that we are going to hear his name rise each and every week for two reasons. The first being it is a dry draft and he is a known commodity. And the second being 
in private workouts, Zach Eady is finally going to be able to showcase to teams that he has a shooting touch outside of five to eight feet that he's been working on privately and is definitely there for him, but it hasn't been showcased because Purdue doesn't need it to be. And once he goes through the process, teams are going to be pleasantly surprised by his offensive versatility. Your thoughts? Uh, I'll give you a B plus on that. I, I don't. I can't speak. I've seen him in practice a little bit and see that he can definitely shoot the basketball. But I think the, be- the thing that Edie has most going for him is even they were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday at halftime. I think Seth Davis or somebody had talked about his real. Or I think it was Jay Wright talked about the his ability to tap the ball out, make winning plays, still get down the court. How much better he has gotten. He was the National Player of the Year, as everybody knows, last year, and he's much better than he was last year. I thought he's won a couple of his moves around the basket. And I think the fact that he is his maturation age in basketball terms, and Matt Painter says this all the time, he is eight years old when it comes to basketball. I think there's a guy, I think that uh, low first round, and, I, and I'm not an NBA draft expert by any stretch, but I think that you, I think there's a high chance, especially – if uh, Purdue makes a deep run in the tournament, but people know who Zach Eady is. I think they know mostly about his uh, unbelievable work ethic and his ability to get better. And I think a team that wants to invest in him, and I don't know who that might be a really good team in the NBA that could afford to do it. Uh, I, I just think you look at him and say, boy, he might be worth the, worth our time and effort because this kid is not an old player from basketball standards. He's not burned out. He's got a lot to prove to people. And uh, I think he's also shown that he can move, especially uh, defensively this year. You've seen some things on the pick and roll. They're not doing as much of that to him. I think you see a much, much improved player. Uh, And that's hard to say from a guy that won national player a year last year, but he's a better player and he is an absolute great kid, great person, and would be a great teammate. Do you remember, Alan, uh, we're going back 30 years ago, but do you remember A.C. Earl at Iowa? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A.C. Earl at Iowa, who was a good player, don't get me wrong, but when he used to go up and down the floor, I used to always say his, and I said this last week, as a matter of fact, his legs to me looked like lumber. Like there was no flexibility in his legs. He, he was very laborious in the way that he moved. And I feel like Edie was that guy a year and a half ago, but no more. I mean, there was a play yesterday where he was not in screen as they were transitioning. And then all of a sudden, Wisconsin starts to set up their set. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's already down there. I mean, I think he moves with more fluidity, Alan, than, than people are giving him credit. I couldn't agree more. And he is in unbelievable condition. He just does not get tired. He is running. As they always talk about big guys, they got to run the full 94 feet or at least 90 of it. And it's a little different sometimes for guards. He is, he has shown that time and again uh, in terms of that. I totally understand one thing about the NBA, the NBA is a scorers league. Uh, you got to show that you can defend at a high level. Uh, you're not going to make the NBA just because you're a, you're a hard worker. But I think Vezekidi's skill set is uh, just has not reached its full potential yet. And what you see in the college game will be different than what uh, what you might see from him in at the uh, professional level. Alan Carpet, GoldenBlacken.com is our guest. Alan, I've brought this up a couple times. And I want to get your thoughts on it as well. It's not quite a, I need a letter grade like Jake, but it's in that same vein. If I was Zach Eady, 
and I was going through the pre-draft process when the season's over, regardless of how it ends, and maybe that has a factor on this question, I don't know, but regardless of how it ends, if I'm going through the pre-draft process again, and I don't like where I'm mocked, or I think that, man, again, I'm going to miss out on realizing my dreams in the NBA, I would give a hard look at my last year of eligibility. Is that at all thought about in Purdue circles? Like, hey, he technically has a year left, and maybe he comes back next year because then IL and everything else, that, that that's not a bad way to live. It's thought about. It's more dreamed about than thought about, in all honesty. I mean, it, it's not going to happen, barring – almost barring anything unforeseen. And the reason is, too, is, is the kid, uh, he was within an eyelash of going last year. Uh, I think he's I think he's a smart person. He's got his mom. They're, they're smart about how they do things. I'm not saying it'd be stupid for him to come back. If it's a better financial decision, sure. But I just don't, as A, I think he's going to get picked higher than people think. And I just think he's also got a guy, if Purdue finishes its business, and what, what, what is that? I don't know, getting to the Final Four, maybe winning the national championship. Uh, I, I think his work is done here. Uh, you know, I, you never know, but I think it's more of a pipe dream than reality, and I don't, and I don't think and I, that the Purdue's coaching staff is making any plans for that to happen. Let's say they lose in the Sweet 16 then, just for the sake of it. They yeah. lose in crushing fashion um, in the Sweet 16. Do you think that factors oh, if, in? If, 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 if 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 they lose in the Sweet 16 and and uh, he's and he's broken his ankle and isn't going to get drafted for some <laughs> goofy reason, then okay, maybe. But uh, but I just don't think that's even in the wheelhouse. I think that they're they're focusing on obviously doing what it can to get past the Sweet 16. But also, I just think his time is his time is ready for something at the next level. That would be my guess. If this guy gets hurt, Alan. We're, we're oh, taking God. this. We're I taking this tape. We're burning it, right? We're burning uh, it. I mean, I, and and no one wants to put. We we don't even need to go back to produce some of Purdue's stories when it comes to that. Uh, this is a different team, and and what a show they've been putting on of late. Uh, I I just you know without and I try not to have Purdue blinders on uh, when I when I evaluate what I see, but what I see is a team that's as good as anybody. It's the best position Purdue team. Uh, uh, that I've been watching in the NCAA tournament uh, based on how they play and what they do. And the sign that it's, that's reality is like we talked about at the front end of this, this segment, and that is Purdue's ability to do things when Edie isn't perfect or when Braden Smith might not be perfect or whatever. They seem to be able to plug whatever holes they have with other guys and uh, that is an extremely good position to be in if you're Matt Painter. Alan, I got good news for you, man. They do not go to Minnesota for the rest of the year, yeah. so we are cool on that, right? We are good to go. You're, you're right. Purdue's got a good schedule down the stretch. That's right. There's no February 24th, whatever day, whatever time that was. I won't even mention that. Having Purdue fans know what happened up there. But my point is, is that, uh, right, they, they, they've got everything going for it. Uh, I think we've talked about the over, overused word culture, but this team's got it. Um, there's just isn't there's just nothing there that's going to be going to get in their way in terms of how they approach Saturday's game against Indiana. They're they they know they got to win games still, uh, even though that schedule is extremely advantageous for Purdue. 
You know, you could almost say that uh, Gene Cato will have to change his uh, thing on the scoreboard from 25 Big Ten, 10 championships to 26. But I don't think this team thinks that way. I think this team knows it has some work to do and knows that uh, there's still some peril out there in the Big Ten. Uh, you can't take anything for granted. That might be the best thing that Purdue's got going for it. GoldenBlack.com, the website. Alan Karpik sharing his thoughts with us today. Alan, we appreciate it as always. Enjoy the sunshine. All right, yeah, hey, it is sunny in central Indiana. You can't beat that for February, but thanks so much, guys. Have a great rest Appreciate of Appreciate it. That is absolutely the, the truth, by the way, which I think I told you, Jimmy, um, we were talking once. I think it was when Eddie was getting ready to go to Colorado when I told you about the Manitou incline. Mm-hmm. I said Manitou. I think it's Manitou is how you pronounce it. But the Manitou incline is a an old cable car incline on a mountainside just outside of Pikes Peak in Colorado, and when you do it, you go up, it's like 60-degree angle. I think it's three-quarters of a mile straight up, or, well, 60-degree angle up, and they're just wooden steps that used to be a railroad line. And it is not easy at all, but it has what's called false summits. So, in other words, when you're doing it, you think, like, you're looking, and you're like, there's the top, and then you get to that point, and you're like, oh, my gosh. There's more. There are two false summits on it. We are in the false summit of winter, right? Yeah. Like we think we're we're out of we, we think we're out of the woods. Whoa, whoa, no, we're not. How dare you? Did you not pay attention to Groundhog Day last week? Right. Tony Phil said it's over, baby. Spring's coming early. There's no false summit here. We've ascended to the peak, Jake. You want to think that? <laughs> Reality's coming. Sectional time coming. There's going to be a snowstorm for that, but yeah. it's easier, right? Because you know now. You're like, okay, whatever. Like, if it snows now, who cares? It's gone in three, in two or three weeks. We're out of the woods, theoretically. Theoretically being the key word. We haven't talked much about the Pacers, so we'll do it next. It is a Monday. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. In Indianapolis, my name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other featured voice you hear here on Query and Company. Eddie Garrison is now, Eddie's on jury duty, is that right? Or did he get arrested? He didn't get arrested, right? No, he did not get arrested, okay. no. Kylan filling in. Kylan, did Eddie tell you where he was by chance? Or did he just... <laughs> Sore throat. Something <laughs> like that. Come on. I don't think that's actually true, but jury duty might as well be it. <laughs> I mean, I've got jury duty at the end of the month. Yeah, you never put a capper on that, so you're still in the boat. You're still... Well, so you get a a notice in the mail that says you have been s- selected to report for jury duty. My report day is... Uh, what is today? The... Fifth. Fifth? So my report day, I believe, is three weeks from today. So I have to call, and then you find out if you go the next day. Um 
Derek Schultz just had jury duty and was selected to be on the jury. And in the process of the selection process in his group was Governor Holcomb. Hmm. So then I thought that my chances of getting eliminated because I'm a media member probably went out the window if the governor is not yeah, eliminated. So. Uh, but anyway, uh, Eddie, under the weather, and we'll be back. The Pacers, by the way, in action tomorrow night. It is the Houston Rockets that come calling. The Rockets, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I thought, Jimmy, I was sure on this, but now I'm not so sure because I think there's been yet another trade. So this is not a return game for Victor Oladipo, correct? Correct. He was dealt late last week for an injured Stephen Adams. So he's in Memphis. That's right. An injured Stephen Adams that won't play this season. Because the Rockets feel like they need a veteran, big man, tough presence for their young core. Now, will who knows if Oladipo, like what the status is there, right? Uh, but I thought last night Pacers looked pretty good in Charlotte. I mean, obviously the 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 Mather and or not the Mather, excuse me, the Halliburton effect continues to creep in. Like for instance, there was about ten minutes of game time last night because he played twenty minutes. Right, and again, it's a win for the Pacers. But in the back of my head, there's a voice going, hey, why, why is Tyrese not out there? I get it. It's minutes restrictions, but this team can't function without him. What's happening? And they're able to ride it out and overcome a great performance by the rookie Brandon Miller out there. He has 35. There were times where they closed the gap late in this game. But guys that we've been highlighting over this stretch run for the Pacers and Jake, you in particular, Aaron Neesmith, another outstanding performance, 22 points for him. Feels like on a nightly basis, that contract continues to just sprout and live up as one of the best deals in the NBA. And Pascal Siakam, he finishes with 25 and eight, nine assists to go with it. So flirting with a triple double there, but it's not just his total performance in that game that makes you smile. It is the first real floor sharing with connectivity with Tyrese Halliburton, Pascal Siakam, where you see, okay, that's why they went and got him. That's what they're building for this unit. When we go in the push for the all-star break and the back half of the season as they make a push for the playoffs. You know, the the one guy that is starting to concern me is the wrong word, but where I'm becoming intrigued is kind of along the lines of not wondering like if if there's not if there aren't things in play. But it is interesting to me that as his name has become more and more linked with anticipation, the prospect of being moved. Can I guess? Yep. Buddy? Yes. Buddy Heald, and I love Buddy Heald. To me, Buddy Heald is one of those guys that you almost have to have on the floor just because he does space the floor. Because when he's in rhythm and he's able to hit, and his ability to hit, you know, from the outside – his three-point shooting and just that potential for it is the reason that you have him on the floor at all times because it, you never know when that lightning in a bottle is going to strike. But it does seem like his consistency has really dipped here. And part of that is because without Halliburton out there, they go with different lineups. They've got Nimhard running, you know, running the ball. You, put ne- you move Neesmith down a little bit. I get it. But I guess if there was good news to be said regarding Buddy Heald and the prospect that he could be moved, 
it's that. And and look, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. I don't know him. But I watch pretty closely. And I think that he's well liked, well respected, and he, and there's not he doesn't bring any detriment to the franchise. But he has not played exceptionally well of late, and yet they are still able to compete and win games. So maybe they're starting to get a taste of what life is like without him. That there's two school of thoughts with that, right? It's either is this a simulation for life without him, as you pointed out, and he's gonna get dealt between now and Thursday. Yeah, three days to figure that out. Or he's a veteran player with a team that's incomplete right now because Tyrese Halliburton's on a minute restriction and that is impacting his lull in play further to the point that he, like a lot of veterans this time of year, just get him to the all-star break, get him refreshed. Tyrese will be back out at that point in time and maybe a switch lights up again for him and it's a strong second half of the season. Right. That, those are the two schools of thoughts with him right now because you're right. There's no bad vibes about Buddy Heald. Everybody you talk to likes him. Like he's a great conversation, great player, great teammate. But it's one of two things. Either you're getting a preview and maybe you're tempted if the right offer comes calling for him or it's just a bad slump with plausible attributes for why it's happening. Primarily Tyrese Halliburton's injury, second half of the season, once All-Star Weekend's over, he'll be back to his old self. Now, here's what I would say about Buddy Heald, and this is one thing about this Pacer team that I think fans should like. I have always felt, Jimmy, that you can get a true read on people, not just athletes. You get a true read from people by observing the way they treat the people that seemingly can't help them. And that sounds really derogatory or elitist to say. But let me give you an example. I remember, and and I've told this story many times, and I think it personifies who he was. But I'll never forget when Dan Weldon, I mean, obviously I'll never forget doing the race where Dan Weldon was fatally injured in Las Vegas. But the thing about that day that that sticks out to me, because some of it's partially hazy, some of it's, you know, it's it's a weird thing to look back on because I was on the broadcast for that race. But I'll never forget when the accident happened and, you know, you have this kind of mayhem and everybody's trying to find out what's going on and, and there's, it was, it was kind of chaotic. And then there was like this eerie silence because everybody kind of assumed something really bad happened, but nobody knew for certain. And they had a driver meeting inside the media center there at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, I think is what it's called. And that's where they announced that Weldon had been fatally injured and that they were going to do a five-lap salute for him, and that was it. So I walk out of that media center to go out to Pitt Road because I I still have to help broadcast this five-lap salute. And you could hear a pin drop, right? And we're walking out, and there's a woman sitting, one of the workers, one of the volunteers that, like, checks your credential in the garage area type thing. And she was sitting on a paint bucket. I remember that. And looked completely like staring at the ground. It was it was an appropriate reaction for all. 
And as I was walking through the little area to go out onto pit road, she looked up at me. I don't know why me, but I, I just happened to be the one person walking through. She looked up at me. And the only thing that anybody said to me, other than in the broadcasting of my earpiece through that whole thing, the only thing that I heard another human being saying, other than the people that I was interviewing, was she looked up at me and said, he was the only one that said hello to me before the race. And that's no indictment on the other drivers, but it's perfectly, perfectly personifies who Dan Weldon was. Perfectly. Because Weldon made sure that he always was kind to the people that were oftentimes people walked past and didn't recognize. And the Pacers' current roster, and part of the reason why I think people should be, and I'm not saying this to carry their water, but we've seen plenty of people that play for the Pacers that were great players and at the same time, not necessarily the best of role models, right? Some of them, people may not even realize like some of the, the skeletons, you know, but this particular group, I watch before the game. And I watch before the game when the players are out on the floor and they're doing the introductions and they're all doing their high fives and whatever else. I watch the way they interact with those that have nothing to do with the actual game. Sure, they're going to give high fives to the assistant coaches. And sure, they're going to give high fives to their teammates. But in terms of the usher in the front row that's making sure nobody goes on the floor, in terms of the scoreboard operator, who, yes, they're familiar and they're the same people every game, but and in terms of the ball boys... I watched the way they handle those folks. And for the most part, most of the team does this. But two players that go out of their way to high-five, handshake, recognize, and give love to every person that's an auxiliary, behind-the-scenes contributor to the event itself – are Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. Literally, Buddy Heald almost goes out of his way to go all the way down, all the way back, fist bump, congratulate, you know, thank, recognize, and and make feel equal all of those people. And to me, that speaks – I always go back to Weldon in Vegas in that moment, and I say, that is a true indication to me of one's character – And because of their character, I think more often than not, it also gives you great indication of their ability as a teammate. And Buddy Heald, I think, Jimmy, is a – I have no idea what his future is in terms of his playing here or how much gas there is left in the tank in the playing career, Buddy Heald. But I do know that by watching those things – all indications are that he is a fabulous teammate. It's the little things, right? It doesn't mean people that – lose that, lose sight of it, or forget to do it are bad people, but it's what sets you apart from others when you take the time to acknowledge those that you don't have an obligation to acknowledge, but you want to acknowledge it because they matter as part of the system as a whole. Uh, TJ McConnell, the other one that is in that same category. Uh, to your point, it's a trickle down, not just from the Pacers. I filled in for a Mad Ants game this year. Jordan Bell's dapping me up at the booth. Like he doesn't know me from Adam, right? Right, but like that's just they 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 go out and they make time for everybody that's involved in the operation. It does not 
matter. You can you can think positively about the actions of players and being decent human beings and it be separate from what's happening on the floor. It just so happens, though, that's what's happening on the floor for them is the most promising angle they've had in quite some time where they're going into an all-star break in a playoff position. If they can close out strong these final four or five games, they're not a play-in team for the first half of the season. They would be squarely in the mix for a five or six seed getting you an assured spot. And who knows if they'll retain that, but that all matters. The totality of it matters. I'd still be surprised at this stage if they do move Buddy Heald based on just where they are as a roster. And I kind of do think it's just an extended lull that's going to bounce itself back and fix itself out once Tyrese Halliburton fully returns to the lineup and once they're over that well-earned time off for the All-Star break. But that aspect of him is what makes him and Tyrese such enjoyable pacers to watch and interact with because of the way they carry themselves and the lights are off. Right now, without looking, Jimmy, and and I'm not trying to put you on the spot because I would not have been able to do this successfully, okay? They are where in the East, ranking-wise? They're sixth. Standings, huh? They're sixth. I, okay. I saw it earlier today. They're sixth. Right behind them? Uh, Orlando. And? Miami. Correct. In front of them, this is the one I think is kind of the surprise. Philadelphia, and then I believe it's New York and then Cleveland. Correct. New York being fourth, I think, is kind of the surprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's been... Well, then, I mean, look, the national media doesn't need the Knicks to be good to you know spill over themselves and talk about them, but this does feel somewhat different look, for the last decade of New York basketball. Basketball, right? though, and this is a little bit of mid-90s, I want to play Oasis and go hang out at Old Pro's Table, Jake Quarry talking here, okay? But basketball is better and more fun when the Knicks are relevant and good. I I know that people here hate the Knicks. I I don't disagree with that. I had about a three year period where I rooted for them, pretty pretty heavily. But um, no disagreement here, by the way. There's something about the garden, yeah. right? Yep. It's just there's something about the garden and and just the, the like rolling in on the on the train to go see the Knicks play, and it's just fun. By the way, the Knicks were so bad for a stretch. You brought his name up a couple times, albeit more negatively than anything. But the Knicks were so bad for a stretch that at the time. Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks are celebrated for winning their first playoff series in like a decade, however long it was when they right. won it in 2013. They didn't do anything after that to the point that nationally, when you look at this Knicks team, they're getting the same flowers and praise of, oh, this is the best team since the 90s. It's like, did people forget about the Carmelo Knicks? Like that just didn't happen. Well, here's the thing. And they were overshadowed by Miami and the big three and right. they underperformed. But um, there was a lot of work that went into getting them even to that point with Carmelo. Yeah. And then the owner has... Right. Jim Dolan, <laughs> Jim Dolan basically screwed the whole thing up and probably will again, truth be told. It's I mean, inevitable. It's just, he's the Daniel Snyder of the NBA. I mean, no question about it. But at any rate, Pacers and Houston Rockets tomorrow night at the Fieldhouse. J&B walked in. My imagination, or my imagination, my reality, I imagine that means we will be having a bit of a chat with him here as we hand it off in Jimmy's scoops and uh, what, what, scoops. What's the other one? You can lay those points or you can scoop them, Jake, whichever you want to do. Okay. Well, we'll do that, and we managed to go this far into the program without commenting on the fact that he has another Chief shirt on. And Super Bowl one, week, Jake. Happy Super Bowl week to you. I think it's a new one that I've not seen before that one, by the way. I've not broken it out during this run. I'm sure I've worn it over the course of the season, but it is a newer one to the visual eye. Okay. Shout well, out the break room. We'll do scooping, and I'm not going to say we're going to do laying next. That sounds weird, <laughs> but you get the point. Today's plays of life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. 
Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The day will scoop three and a half on the Sacramento Kings. They're on the road tonight, taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Still in the NBA, we'll take the Golden State Warriors on the money line outright on the road against the Brooklyn Nets. And Jake, Premier League on a Monday, sign me up. I'll take Erling Holland of Manchester City as an anytime goal scorer as Man City travels to Brentford. Eddie's not here, so those are your plays of the day. John, any thoughts on that um, Man City whatever else? Yeah. I don't know. You know, John, you're always looking for live sports during the show. That starts at three. You can, you can flip yeah, it on. And yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you'll be right there yeah, for all of it, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Full 90 so. minutes of work. Hey, but at least you scoop something up. That's good. Got to. So. Got to scoop something. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, wait a minute. You mentioned something about Mike Woodson a little bit earlier, right? What would you say about Mike Woodson? Basically, what I said about Woodson was that, uh, you know, nothing against him personally. I don't think that some of the appeal of Mike Woodson to recruits or young players is probably what those of us that are 45, 50 years old think because he's pretty far removed from, you know, certainly from as a playing standpoint. And I yeah. know that he was an NBA coach, but I feel like they have good players there, but it, but those players have not meshed at all and they're not well constructed in terms of their roster, John. And in addition to that, the time has come now for Indiana to – Look, you know, you had to get an Indiana guy. Well, they got an Indiana guy. I, I think that Indiana is holding itself back now by trying to constantly live in the past. And it's time to get somebody in here to run Indiana. And I don't mean necessarily right now, but whenever they decide to replace Mike Woodson, I think the next coach needs to be an established brand that is bringing his brand to Indiana as opposed to a young coach that is thrilled to be taking on the brand of Indiana. So, do you think he's still going to be here? I, I, I have do. no doubt that he's going to be here. He'll be here into next year. I believe the that problem well. is with most of the fans out there. I don't think there's any going back. I think now, especially with Saturday, you're going to have to do something extra special to get people back on board to the level on which you want. And I think that's also hurt because it's problematic with when he had Trace and last year they got in the tournament, won a game. There's always that won a game, but got into playing, beat Wyoming, but lost by about $9 million against St. Mary's. You know, got in last year, beat a MAC team, but got blown out by Miami. It's just not reached the level, even when it's been good, Jake, of what anybody around here would expect, right. and especially with all the resources. See, I kind of look at now recruiting more of, all right, this is how much money we can give you. More than anything else, oh, this, is how many, this is your deal that's said, and IU, IU can give a lot. I mean, I know people that do, and I talk to those people all the time that give. They can give a lot. Um, but I think you're right about the way the team is put together. I mean, the, the problem do you is, not watch these guys practice at all to think – 
I mean, I know you didn't have Huchifino, I mean, but, they but got, I mean, you had to prepare for that possibility. I know. And they had no outside shooting. I, you know, the the problem is, I think, I understand the importance in the NIL era of using that to get yourself really good players, but I do think that sometimes really good players, you need them to – I thought Don Fisher made a really good point about Thomas Bryant. When Thomas Bryant was in his last year at Indiana, he's shooting threes regularly – because that's what scouts wanted to see of him. But that that wasn't what Indiana needed. And I think that there are now, Indiana should benefit from the fact that Khalil Ware is playing hard because he wants to show people he's willing to do that. And he has been a good player for them. Um, but I just think there are other guys on that roster that, that are doing what's best for their brand as opposed to what's best for that team. You watch how other teams, for example, in the Big Ten, that are winning games in the Big Ten, that are good in the Big Ten, like Purdue, for example, Lance Jones, or Rink Mask. I know that they lost at Illinois last night, but what he has done with Nebraska, you know what Marcus Damask has done, all these Missouri, these are three Missouri Valley Conference, former Missouri Valley Conference players these other teams have found. And you just kind of wonder why there wasn't any finding things going on down there. Because, again, this I is mean, something. How big you, has you, Jones you, you been you for Purdue? Be, Huge. You know, Wooden Jr. to figure out that that was going to be an issue even going in. And it has been a, a major issue. And. I mean, it looks like all these other teams found out what was going to be their Achilles heel and tried to deal with it. And, you know, the one team we're talking about, IU, totally. unfortunately didn't. I mean, so. I think they realized, though, they were going to struggle in the guard department. I don't think they didn't try. I think they failed. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think they, well, I mean, like, they sat there and thought that they were the okay with what they but had. But I think they also overestimated was. Gabe Cups, who is going to be a good player, don't get me wrong, but I think Indiana thought Gabe Cups was going to be Braden Smith this year. I think it's deeper than Gabe Cups, though. I think they banked on Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson becoming players they're Xavier not, Johnson, and C.J. Sure. Gunn developing sure. into... Like, watch C.J. Gunn. If he transfers after this year, he's going to go to a mid-major program, he's going to hit 40% from beyond the arc, and you're going to wonder, why couldn't he do that at Assembly What's Hall? What's Bates doing in Missouri right now? He did have a 36-point game the other night, didn't he? I think in like five consecutive, he was like over 20 or over yeah. 18 or something like that. So, By the way, have you guys seen this this floor? Okay, this from ESPN. I have. I'm just going to read it flat out because it'll confuse me otherwise. For the first time, the NBA will play on glass. Part of All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis, including the entire All-Star Saturday night lineup, will be played on a state-of-the-art full video LED court that will be installed at Lucas Oil Stadium. This means the skills competition, three-point shootout, slam dunk competition, and the shooting matchup between Stephen Curry and uh, Sabrina will take place on the glass floor February 17th, as will the celebrity game. And it's got like it like chain like it looks like you're on acid, right? How do you not slide around everywhere on a glass floor? Seriously. <laughs> so I mean, they, I don't know they better works. hope nobody like there's I mean, surely they're are, they're not gonna play major games on this, right? No, I, it, it appears it's just a gimmick for All Star Weekend, though. I yeah. will say it's an evolution. No, but I'm of, saying the All Star game itself isn't gonna be on that, is it? The no. glass floor right there? No. Yeah. The All Star game will not the celebrity game will be, but the All Star game will not be. Big opportunity here for Michael Rappaport gonna blow a knee out on this bad boy, <laughs> is Michael right? Michael Rappaport playing in that. He does every year. I bet this will look again, it's not an in game thing. Huh. But I bet from a in-person standpoint, this is going to look really cool. This is the next evolution of on-court intro lineups like you've seen with the Atlanta Hawks and others, but now it's going to be for these events. Man, we're just going in some sort of direction, aren't we? It's another bell Think about that. Uh, you basketball all, and the crapper. All about recruiting yeah, kids, you got, John. Yeah. Getting kids to watch. By the way, speaking of Michael Rappaport, if nobody's seen it, he was in a fabulous show with Jennifer Jason Lee, one of John's favorites, called Atypical on Netflix. 
you've not seen Atypical, I think I'm the only one that did. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. Was he in Beautiful written. Girls with Uma Thurman, too? Was he? Re- remember that? Uma, Uma Thurman. Thurman. Yeah, yeah. You know, Uma. Kenny Banyo went out on a date with her. Uma, he, he did. Yeah. Suit. Uh, John's up next. Gotcha. Thanks for listening. We're back at you tomorrow at noon.